Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 75! A falling dragon, a shooting star. I'm Scad and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hey guys, uh, welcome back. Glad to be back chatting with you. Glad to be back chatting with Scaddy. We are doing been something. A while. It has been a while. When we took a break, we took a break, people. It was it was breakish. It was breakish and it was it was it was heartrending at times. This is my scatty. Times. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing something a little different, guys. We've finished the A Song of Ice and Fire series. If you've been listening along to our episodes, you know that. And we blasphemy. Can you believe it? We have finished the books that have been published so far, Matt. Well, we have not finished the series. Well, maybe we have. I'm just teasing. hold on to hope, my friend. <laughs> Rebellions are built on hope. They're they're built on that. It. Doesn't apply to anything here. No. Uh, so we, to, uh, fill the time kind of, and also because we love exploring these other sides of kind of the world of ice and fire that, mm. that, uh, Mr. Martin has created, we are going to be reading the Knights of the Seven, the Knight of the Seven Kingdoms series. Those are three novellas. Uh, we are going to take two episodes per novella that equals six for all you math challenged people. So six episodes on uh, this whole series following Duncan Egg. We're starting with the first novella, which is called The Hedge Night. We're going to go today from pages 1 to 67 of the, uh, I don't know what edition it is. I didn't write it down. I've got it here. For me, it's what I call the paperback. But yeah, it's the compilation. Copyright 2015 called The Night of the Seven Kingdoms. You know that one. Yeah. You'll see where we are. I think hardcover and, and softcover are the same pages. Yeah. But if you've got, if you're a real true fan and you've got like the original versions from, you know, the, the compilations, you're just going to have to figure it out based on what we tell you next. Right. Yep. Basically, it goes through the first, up through the first day of jousting at the tourney of Ashford. So pay attention to that. Hey, Kalisar, it's Matt from the editing room. At this point in the podcast, we talked for a while about the different things that we did during our break, which was a lot of fun to do. But in the interest of getting to Dunkin' Egg more quickly, we decided to cut this part out and tack it on in the outtake section of the podcast at the end of the show. So keep listening after Davos After Dark to hear all the fantastical things Matt and Scad did during their break. All right, films get fingered. It's been a while, uh, but for those uh, of our patrons, uh, we are going to cover Star Wars Episode Four in Films Get Fingered, uh, and we're excited. We're going to embark on a project where we cover all the Star Wars movies, the the whole catalog. I think probably at least the first three. We'll see how it goes. When there's not something first in the three, theaters that we four, really want to see, yeah, four, five, and six. There's not something in the theaters we really want to see, then we're going to go to one of these episodes as as time permits. So that's that's kind of the schedule we're on. And we kind of looked, there just kind of wasn't much around yeah. that we wanted to see. Did the new Jurassic Park come out? It it, it was just like released on Blu-ray, Scad. Like it's oh, it's wow. been through the I'm, theater. I'm so behind. <laughs> like all right, we just bought was it. Was it bad? And Hiram's watched it twice. Was it awful? Um, it wasn't great. Yeah. It was fine. It was a dinosaur movie with lots it of had, action. I, and it had the kids from the get down in it. It did. Yep. That's all I can say. He was delightful. Yeah. As he is. I should watch it. Oh, the get down. That's a series I'd go back and rewatch. 
At least the yeah, first season. Yeah, that. Yeah, first season was really good. Yep. We're meandering. Anyway, films get fingered on our Patreon soon. Recording it in like a week or so. All right. Uh, next announcement, Matt. Oh, it's all yours. Yeah, this is one that uh, another little thing worked on the, during the break as well. Uh, I tweeted this out and put it on Facebook and everything. But for those of you who may not follow us on, on those social media sites, Life is Not a Song, the music of Davos Fingers Volume 2 has been released on our Bandcamp page. So this in this uh, little album of music includes all the character jingles um, from A Sauce onward, A Storm of Swords. So it's got Jamie Lannister, Cersei, uh, all of the Greyjoys, Arianne Martell, Melisandre, Barristan, Brienne, John Connington, uh, Sam, all of those ones. So you can find that at wearedavosfingers.bandcamp.com, where you can also get the first album, which is called A Wall of Courtly Arses, which includes... Wall of Courtly Arses. It's classic. The POVs, uh, jingles from Game of Thrones and A Cock. So you can get those there, and uh, all those POV jingles are only like 30 seconds long, so you get through the whole album in like five minutes. It's nice. It's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. So again, that's wearedavosfingers.bandcamp.com. Go grab them. Go get them. Uh, Okay, and our last announcement. Uh, I've mentioned this a couple times, uh, but we are going to be fan favorites at Ice and Firecon next year. That's uh, in April. I believe it's around the, well, it's usually the end of April. I can't remember the exact dates now, but uh, you can go check it out at Ice and Fire. Just search for Ice and Firecon, you'll find it. You can use our code, which is FINGERS, to get five bucks off when you register. Uh, and I can't promise anything yet because I haven't reached out t- to the person I want to yet. But I have an idea for something that might be really cool for the talent component of this year's show. That's all I'll say for now. That's all I'll say for now. Please let it be acrobatics. Please let it be acrobatics. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what everyone wants. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, it can be. Uh, what's the what's the uh, the jester for the the Tyrells? Uh, butter bump. Uh, butter butter bumps. Yeah. Maybe I can. Maybe I can be some butter bump acrobatics. You can go farting around. It's it's not at all butter bumps acrobatics. I'm thinking. I just Hopefully saw. We'll we'll see. I just saw Cirque du Soleil show in Vegas, uh, Mystere, and it's got the two really strong guys that do the. The routines together where they just like hold each Hans other and up and set, yeah, oh. Hans and Franz. Let's call them that. Just like two okay. ripped dudes that just like do these crazy poses where they're like holding each other up and flipping each other around and stuff. It's it's amazing and a little erotic and stuff like that. So that's kind of what it I is, envisioned. I am I am not going to be doing that. Oh man! All right. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. So, moving on. Check out Ice and Firecon, guys. It's amazing. I can't recommend it high enough, highly enough. Uh, SCAD will be there. Um, we'll have a panel for people that follow the show where we can talk back and discuss things, and you can give ideas and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, moving on. Getting into the podcast. We are spoiler-free until the end of the podcast for a special segment called Dawn's After Dark. Don't worry, we will warn you with some sort of jingle. Guys, Dad might be a little weird tonight. With Dunkin' Egg. It's, Dunkin' Egg is different than A Song of Ice and Fire. It takes place before Song of Ice and Fire, as everyone knows. What's a spoiler? Hmm. All, like, we know 
100 years of what happens later. So what? it's a little weird. But we're going to see how it goes. For now, we're keeping Davos After Dark. We know people love Davos After Dark. We'll see how it how it goes with, with what's included and what isn't. But but we'll warn you. Yeah, and like Skad said, uh, we're going to kind of see how this first episode goes. So give us your feedback on what you thought of it, uh, maybe things we can do better, what you did like, what you didn't. Uh, let us know. You can find us all over the place, davosfingers.com. Email wearedavosfingers at gmail.com. Of course, our Twitter handle is at davosfingers, and we're also on Facebook. Uh, and also, of course, we've mentioned Patreon a little bit with the Films Get Fingered program that we're doing and everything. You can find and learn more about our Patreon program, including how you can get access to early episodes and special content that we do. That's at patreon.com slash Davos Fingers. Matt, I got to be honest. The email went dark. <laughs> like we got a fl- after we finished, we got a flood of emails yeah. from people just saying, you know, like, I appreciate the show. Love what you guys do. Hope you keep going. Have a good break. You know, yeah. all these things. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Have a good break. All sorts of stuff. And then, like, a couple weeks after that, it just went dark. Nothing. Uh-huh. Like, so, did we lose them? I'm, or or are they just, yeah, like, I'm, respecting I'm, the break? Or Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really excited to start getting some emails after we record this episode. That's all I'm saying. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. If you were just, right. like, trying uh, to, to respect the break, thank you. That was really sweet of you. But we want to hear from you now. Don't ever do it again. Yeah, just don't do it again. We miss you. Just send stuff. Oh my yeah. gosh. All right. Okay, shall we move on? Let's get into the episode. Let's I think get it was into like 20 episode. minutes of notes. Oh man. Well, that's all right. You know what? So we lose a few listeners. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, no. <laughs> Feels like the first time. Feels like the first time. It's beautiful. Right. Okay. All right, am I kicking us off then with the first section? You are. Okay. Dunk goes to Ashford, Matt. I've been walking for a thousand miles, wasn't getting anywhere soon. One man die and another tell a lie, it all led me back to you. Dreams and schemes and honor bloodstreams The things that'll carry us through I've been waiting on a dream these days Sure didn't think it'd be you I've been living in a dream these days It wouldn't be the same without you So, it was a rainy spring morning when Dunk buried Sir Arlen of Pennytree, the wizened, well-weathered hedge knight who the 16 to 17-ish year old Dunk had been squiring for since he was just a young boy. I wish you didn't die, sir. You were a true knight, and you never beat me when I didn't deserve it. Dunk offers this rather (laughs) heartfelt, if not simple, eulogy before gathering up the knight's meager belongings, a sword, old armor, a near-empty purse, and three horses— As he handles Sir Arlen's sword, he notes that it fits his grip as well as it ever fits Sir Arlen's. And, you know what? There's a tourney coming up at Ashford Meadow. Hmm. So after a long day of riding, the lightness of Dunk's purse couldn't, doesn't dissuade him from stopping at an inn. Uh, He spots a young stable boy, eight or nine years old, with absolutely no hair on his head, but plenty of sass to make up the difference. Uh, Dunk hands over the reins of his horse to the boy and goes inside for a drink. 
He's mildly surprised to find the inn nearly empty. All the potential inhabitants have made their way to the tourney, tourney, save for one long-drunk lordling in the corner who's more than halfway on his way to being passed out. Uh, Dunk's even more surprised when this sad creature stares at him in hazy recognition, claiming, I dreamed of you. You stay away from me, do you hear? Before stumbling off to be sick. So Dunk eats his fill at the inn, and then returns to the stables to fetch his horses, only to find the young stable boy that we mentioned earlier seated atop Thunder, old Sir Arlen's warhorse. Uh, the boys dressed haphazardly in Sir Arlen's mail and helm. Uh, Dunk's equal parts annoyed and amused as he orders the boy to set things back in order and uh, was dismissive when the boy correctly deduced that he was headed for Ashford and, and offered to accompany him as his squire, quipping that every knight needs a squire and Dunk looks like he needs one more than most. Threatening to clout the boy on the ear, a threat that is repeated oft throughout this tale, Dunk flips, a coin, flips the boy a coin for his work, which the boy leaves lying in the dirt, and then Dunk rides off towards Ashford alone. So he arrives at Ashford Meadow the following afternoon to find three score pavilions belonging to three score knights already set up on the tourney grounds. Duck recognizes a few of the banners he sees. Karen, Baratheon, Fossaway, Lannister, Hightower. Jeez, had every western or southern house in all of Westeros sent at least one representative to compete for the Fair Maid of Ashford? Even amongst the crowd of fellow knights, however, Dunk knows he would be subject to mockery if he attempts to camp with them. He was just a simple hedge knight. He doesn't even have a pavilion. He doesn't even have armor that fits him. His sword is attached to his waist with a length of rope. Oh, and he also doesn't have a squire. So he sets up shop about a half a mile away, close to a bend in the brook and under a thick elm tree. A pavilion roofed with leaves greener even than the banners of the Tyrells and Estermonts. After bathing and tending to his horses, Dunk slung Sir Arlen's shield across his back, if anything, to prove to observers he was a knight, and then he uh, set off towards the tourney grounds. The bustling grounds were filled not only with knights, but merchants, uh, also the Westerosi version of food trucks, and even entertainers, all looking to profit from the event. It's kind of a party. Dunk was particularly enamored by a young puppeteer, slim as a lance, a tall drink of water, with the olive skin and black hair of Dorn, who expertly maneuvers her puppets. Dunk regrets not being able to toss her some sort of coin for her work, nor even introduce himself, but business calls. He eventually finds what he's looking for, an armorer-slash-blacksmith, whose displayed work appears to be of the high of high quality while omitting the fantastical eye-catching trappings that are being hawked by the other merchants. You see, Dunk is a big boy. I haven't really mentioned that mm -hmm. yet. We learn somewhere that he's near... We learn in uh, other sources that he's nearly seven feet tall and not of the, like, Sean Bradley variety. He's got some meat on his old bones. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Sean Bradley's an old basketball player. Skin as a, skinny as a, as a rail. Um, so Dunk's a, Dunk's a big boy. And this short, squat smith who calls himself Steely Pate, he even has to ask Dunk to kneel down just so that he can take his measurements. 
800 stags for a solid set of armor, strong but plain, is his estimate. No way could Dunk even come close to paying that amount uh, and talks him down to 600 stags plus Ser Arlen's old armor, which Steely Pig could maybe rework into something. Even then, though, the cost is too high. So Dunk offers to pay two silvers then, with the promise of the rest paid in full by the time they reach Alderaan. Nope, just... Oh, wait. Wait, what? Nope. With the wait. promise that they'd pay the rest in full by the next day. Four, Dunk Never proclaims, paid, by the way, never paid. Nope, didn't. Uh, Dunk proclaims, I mean to be a champion here. And Pate, for whatever reason, agrees to give him one more day. So, that's the end of the section. Yeah, it's like renting, right? It's like it's like uh, reserving something. You pay a little a little fee to reserve it, and uh, putting it. I'll hold it. I'll hold it for you for a day. Putting it on layaway. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'll put you sandwich on layaway. That's a, <laughs> it's a little goodwill hunting for you. Yeah. Um, you know, just jumping in. Affleck. You know, we need to watch that movie again. That's goodwill a, hunting. That is a good movie. Films get fingered. That is a it potential is a really fingering film. It's a really good movie. Yeah, Ben Affleck is phenomenal in that film. He is stone me if you like, but he's really good. Majestical. Yeah. Um, man, even from that first opening thing, Scad and I were talking as we as before we hit record on this episode about as we are want to do as we are want to do. Oh no, we were recording. <laughs> Just for the record. You're not going to be hearing it. It's all there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, About how just different Duncan Ake feels from the A Song of Ice and Fire novels. Um, And and I love how it it kicks off from the very first line, the spring rains had softened the ground. Um, This is well before winter. Uh, and the heaviness of A Song of Ice and Fire, right? Song of Ice and Fire is heavy. Winter's approaching. This is a calmer time. Uh, the spring, winter is over. Uh, we're not in the midst of any battles or any wars or anything, which I guess Game of Thrones starts off kind of in that regard too, no battles. But um, I felt like the the spring rains had softened the ground line, kind of serves to introduce and fits in with with the lightness of this story. Uh, but how did you feel, Scad, just just kicking it off with Duncan Egg and reading reading how it felt? Well, you know, I, I didn't write this down, but ha- hearing you say that, uh, you're right and you're wrong. Hmm. Uh, you're right. You're right, but, but also it belies the situation occurring in this story, which is um, what, what is really kind of a... Song of Ice and Fire, a a moment for him, a tipping scales moment for this person that could make or break him. He's he's so this lighthearted spring is in the air, rain and everything growing and beautiful. Yes, but life, real life. A Song of Ice and Fire deals with lords and nobles and intrigue and politics and all these things that are complicated, and this is very simple. It's one man's life and one man's choice. What is he going to do with this tragedy slash opportunity that's been presented to him on this spring rainy day? Right? And so it is is light, but it's also heavy. This person with very little opportunity in his life 
has to make a choice that will change his life, whatever he chooses. It will alter his life forever. Yeah, and you mentioned it too, that it takes a death, which A Song of Ice and Fire is rife with death, uh, that leads to this opportunity, right? So even with But it's the... so personal, this death, right? It's, yeah, it's a father, basically. A father, yeah. a partner, a mentor, is everything. Literally his yeah. everything. But, but... But I mean, think think about all the death in a song of ice. And I don't mean to turn this this whole series into a comparison Comparing between Duncan Egg and a song sure, of ice and fire. Sure. But 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 think of the death and the way it's treated in a song of ice and fire compared to the death here. It just feels more personal and more impactful than the battles and the hundreds and the you know you know what I mean. Absolutely. Even Ned's death is delivered from a POV from far away. You don't even see it, right? Because she looks away. Uh, Yoren makes Arya, you know, look away. Wait, am I, am I spoiling? I don't even know if this is. This can't be a spoiler, right? <laughs> anyway, we need to we need to get so, our rules straight on this. But I don't. I, would I mean, it can't be right. This is episode seventy five, where in seventy four previous episodes <laughs> yeah. we've talked about this stuff. So, <laughs> okay, which Great. which might make so, Davos After Dark completely useless. It might we'll see. But, Point is, it's 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 a detached view of death. I think in a Song of Ice and Fire, in some ways, there's a lot of tragedy in those books, uh-huh. but but the personal component of death, I think, is somewhat detached compared to this one. Right, because even when Ned dies and Arya sees it and it's terrible, that has this far-reaching effect on the whole realm. Right, it changes yes. everything, and it's almost presented as such. Yeah, yeah, it's supposed to. Sir Arlen's and the Red death, Wedding itself is is like an event, yeah. right? It's terrible Huge. and tragic and horrible, but it's it's an event. Yeah. This is just a dude that died. Sir Arlen's that no death one even remembers. That affects one person mm-hmm. in the immediate, yeah. in the immediate sense. Yeah. Dunk. That's it. Yeah, it's, it's very personal. Yeah. Do you like it? Uh, I love it. I you know I've I've seen you communicating over the past week or so about how much you love this series and. I love A Song of Ice and Fire a lot more than I love Duncan Egg. I like Duncan Egg. I would agree. It is. It is I would agree. It is, uh, you know, lighter in a way. Um, but and I do, I do like it. I like it a lot. But it's like story time. And yeah. and what gets me about about A Song of Ice and Fire is the political intrigue and the depth and the complications and the interrelationships and everything. This is a simple story about a man trying to make it in the world. And um, I like it. I, I I love it even. But it's not A Song of Ice and Fire. So. Um, yes, it's a departure. I love that it's a departure. Also, please give me wins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was reading up on other people's thoughts about Duncan Egg and stuff, people were like, you know, if I could wait for wins if George, you know, released another novella or two of Duncan Egg. And I was like, no, please, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> give me wins, please. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. As yeah. much as I love this, anyway, it, it is the dessert. I think someone on Twitter made that comparison for us that uh, Duncan Egg is the dessert to A Song of Ice and Fire. Or you could call it an appetizer. Either one right. would be fine. Yeah. It's not the main but course. It, and and I love it. I don't mean to make this whole thing a comparison. I said that already. But um, yeah, so both light and heavy in the opening pages. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. One thing that comes up, and maybe I didn't... Uh, bring this up I didn't bring this up in my summary really is is Dunk's view of 
what a night is. And that's, of course, going to be a theme mm. throughout all three of these novellas. Um, he has... Plus the main series. Yeah. He calls Sir Arlen, you were a true knight. Um, and it's kind of refreshing and kind of makes me chuckle a little bit that Dunk has this very elevated view of the role of not just a knight, but a hedge knight. He finds a lot of dignity in that. And I think that has uh, a lot to do with what Sir Arlen's, uh, the way Sir Arlen carried himself. Um, but, uh, you know, he goes around, he, he talks about how big a deal it is for these hedge knights to throw their support behind some lord and, and join their household to help them fight their battles and stuff for a time and then move on to the next cause. Uh, but yet we find with Mr. Dondarion later on in, in this section that it's really not a big deal when for a lord to bring on some hedge knights to help him fight some battles. And so yeah. I, I find it fun to to see that perspective from the role of a hedge knight and to see that these aren't these downtrodden that maybe some of them are, but, uh, for, for Dunk and for Sir Arlen, you know, whether they're just trying to make something out of nothing, I don't know, but they really see this, this role as something where they can do some good. Right. Yeah, I think so. And, and also Dunk at some point there near the beginning mentions that some, some of these hedge knights turn into robber knights. Yep when times get lean and you know he doesn't say it as such but it, you get the sense that he takes some pride in the fact that he and arlen never did that yep and, and he's not gonna um, that never even enters into his thoughts it, it never enters his mind i mean I, people only kind of do that you know maybe when they're really desperate Last but resort, yeah. yeah you don't get the sense that he's he's angling that way at all um yeah he, he you 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 feel that the dunk has a sense of pride in what he is there's a, a quote later on that I'll give about about the difference between hedge knights and and others and pride enters in. I'll give that later. But um, yeah, I think I think he feels there there is you know a tremendous amount of good that can be done. I mean, you have to look at it from a it's slightly about perspective. You know, he grew up a kid in the streets of King's Landing with nary an advantage anywhere, uh-huh. and this is an upgrade from that. But if you look, if you look at most of the perspectives we get from *A Song of Ice and Fire*, again comparing the two, sorry, it's all lords. They would look down on this perspective, right? Even even the softest of them look down a little yeah. bit on hedge knights, right? And yet here's a man seeing what value he can bring. So yeah, Love I agree. It. What else did you like about this section? Uh, well, um. I like the stones on this young, on this young kid. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That he meets at the end. Oh, yeah, uh, little stable boy. <laughs> yeah, the little stable boy. Uh, challenging him on things. Uh-huh. Yeah, full of full of it. Um, you know, the first, the first meeting. To be honest, is a little. Un- um, you know, I, I think we can spoil in this chapter you know, the remaining chapters in this episode, which we yep. do regularly. Yep. You know, this first meeting, Egg is very aggressive. Dunk is kind of, you know, dumb, if you want to call it that. Like, he's he's clearly behind in the verbal sparring. Yeah. Um, but in that first meeting, there doesn't seem to be some sort of huge connection 
he throws him some gold, some some uh, you know some coin. He doesn't even reach down to pick it up. There's not a real connection between these two. I don't think it doesn't seem like that at first. Uh huh. Which begs the question, and maybe we, maybe this is better for a different section, but I'll ask it now. Did Egg end up following Dunk because he saw something in him? Or, be, or was it more out of desperation? He just wanted to get away from Darren and wanted to do I think on it, this little adventure. I think... Uh, Dunk was the closest opportunity. We don't know it's Darren yet. I don't know if that's a spoiler, but... Uh, that's true, we don't. But... Uh, I think I think it, I think he says it pretty plainly. He wants to go. Yeah, he wants to go. He asks, he begs him to. He has a perfect stranger to take him somewhere, a complete stranger. He just asks him to go. Ask him to take him with him. I think he just wants to go. And is that because he know. sees something in Dunk, or he just wants to go? I think he sees a knight without a squire, at least. Uh huh. An opportunity. I, yeah. I mean, on one hand, I mean, Egg's a, a spry, sly, you know, clever little kid. But uh-huh. uh, it's a good time for me to be reading this because my twins are, are that age right now. They turn nine. Oh. They turn nine in July, so it's uh-huh. very easy for me to to put egg into into that into that age range and kind of imagine you know times are different. But what a, a nine how a nine year old kid might act because I'm seeing it every single day. Um, how does it measure up? About the same. How did George, how did George do? George he did does pretty, pretty good? dang good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, this kid is, is is clever as can be. You know, we'll get to this section, and in, in, I think, just in yours here next. Uh, but I can't see my nine-year-old setting up camp the way that Egg yeah. does a pretty admirable job of doing. But yeah. uh, also different times, right? But my kid can barely clean yeah. his room. He can barely make his bed on his own. It's... It's yeah. It's one of the things. So my kids are much younger. I can't relate exactly, but it's one of the things I've always wondered about because George's kids have always seemed older than they are. Yeah. Uh, more more capable than they would be. Uh-huh. Uh, but we, you know, we've written that off as just it's it's a function of the world because they have to grow up earlier and things like that. Right. But uh, you know, I don't I don't know how much time George has spent with kids. You know, like they say, write what you know. Does he know anything about kids? Yeah. Certainly, he was a kid at one point. Who remembers that? But like. How much does he know about a, a nine-year-old? Uh-huh. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Agreed. Seems good. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the uh, name Steely Pate, that is a great name. It is. I don't it care is. who you are. George it has is. a way with names. He nailed this yeah. one. So what about... Uh, there, the, I, I alluded to it earlier. Um, you know, this is a guy who has inherited for lack of a better word the <laughs> the belongings of this knight yeah um you know i don't i don't know what you'd expect him to do other than just take it i don't think he's doing anything immoral by taking it right um but he takes it his options he notes are pretty bleak he says he could be a member of the city watch not bad um I suppose, I suppose if the tournament thing doesn't work out, he could still go do that. Yeah, but he kind of, he kind of just lets himself be convinced, right? The sword, he grips the sword, and it feels good in his hand. He's like, "This fits me. I can do this." 
Yeah, for as simple-minded as Dunk gives himself credit for, and Dunk is incredibly self-deprecating, isn't he? He is, yes. Um, Good on him, right? There's a tourney coming up. I know I'm going to be mocked. I don't. I know I don't have much of a chance. But why not? Let's yeah. go give this thing a shot. And that's something for as simple as Dunk is, a lot of people wouldn't do. Right? Yeah. I think of all the opportunities. As I've turned 30, Scad, I've thought about all the opportunities that I haven't <laughs> taken. I think I've talked turned about 30? this before. Well, I'm 33 now, but so I've been yeah. going through this crisis for three years now, regretting some of those opportunities that I didn't take and how would things be different? You know, if I, if I really had devoted time to the band back in my early twenties before I had mm-hmm. the responsibilities that I've taken on now and fully love and enjoy, but how could life be different if I, if I had done those things that I just kind of didn't give a lot of value to back then? And took the easy road. Uh, and God bless Dunk, man. He's like, you know what? Why not do this? I'm gonna. And uh, I love the man for that. So. Matt, you're, you're six, six years at least too early for that midlife crisis you're describing that I'm going through now. Uh, but man. So just hold on for a few years. So uh, I won't go put that down payment on the boat yet. <laughs> I, I mean, my happiness with I've, things. I've, I've heard it said that the best two days of a boat owner's life are the day they buy the boat and the they day they sell, sell it. it. So I absolutely don't recommend buying a boat. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Uh, here, here's, here's, I mean, it's interesting because this is kind of like a, a curve maybe, right? When you're a teenager like Dunk is, you don't know that you're going to be 30 someday and regretting all the things you yeah, never did. You like just do them. away, yep. Yeah. Yeah, you just do them. You just do the things. Just do uh-huh. all the things. And so yeah, here he is doing all the things. He has though something of a I don't know whether he's he's kind of invented this blocker or this this uh ability to deny reality. Yeah. But but he has some sort of arrogance or ignorance that he can actually do this. Yeah. Just even enough. though he, even though he admits He's not that well trained. Yep. But he convinces himself. He's like, I just need one. I can do that. I can. This can happen for me. Stranger. Th- he says, Stranger things have happened. What, right? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> like what? And also, like, that doesn't mean the strange thing will happen for you. Right. Yep. It's like, uh, you, but you know what it is? It's fueled by the fact that he needs it. If, it. if it doesn't happen, this life that he's led has to end. And he doesn't know what life is if it's not this. If it's not, yeah. If, if he's not, not a hedge, hedge knight, knight, his life ends. And so he has to make something happen so he can continue that lifestyle. And so, he, you know, he doesn't have armor. He can't be a knight unless he goes and makes something happen here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so he's he's convinced himself through necessity that he can do this. It's like, uh, so I wrote down, it's, it's kind of like uh, King Theoden in Lord of the Rings. When they're at uh, when they're at uh, Helm's Deep, and he's walking through the castle, kind of giving a tour and talking about how strong the defenses are and all these things, kind of like building the place up and talking about it. And I think it's Aragorn. He's just like, "No, what are you talking Dude, about? We're gonna get run over. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get 
trucked here. And, you know, I, th- I can't remember the exact words, but they had is, is basically like, what would you have me do, man? Like, this is where we are. This is the situation we're in. I have to make the best of this. Uh-huh. That's, those are not the exact words, but that's the sentiment. And in a way, that's what Dunk is doing here. He has to tell himself he can win about. Because if, he's, if he doesn't, the life he knows is over. That's it. Yep. Right? So, you know, I mean, he can go, he can still go be somebody, be a member of the City Watch. But he can't keep being a knight unless he figures out how to get some armor and, you know, makes a way of it here. Yeah. Right? And being a knight is good to him. It, for whatever reason, it's attractive to him. It's noble. It's, uh, and credit to Sir Arlen, who never let him lose sight of that, you know, never resorting to being that robber knight. But always holding, yes. holding Dunk and the position of Hedge Knight, holding themselves accountable, holding themselves to a high standard, um, yes. which I have a feeling maybe doesn't happen all that often with Hedge Knights. No, I, yeah, and so I, I kind of was talking about him negatively. I don't mean to do that. He's a perfect oh, fit for a Hedge yeah. Knight. Yeah, he's perfect for it. He's got he's got the ideals you want. He's strong. He's you know moral. He's going to uphold all these values despite, you know, the fact that he might not gain from them all the time. Uh-huh. Um, he's a perfect fit for it. Nevertheless, he's lying to himself. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah. Dunk the lunk, thick as a castle Dunk wall. Lunk. Indeed. Who had never learned the magic of reading and writing. Nope. Nope. I wonder if he did. My, kid is, my kid is turning into a voracious reader. Mary. Isn't that awesome? Good. He Yeah, he took Pippin to a bench outside of our house and... Uh, they read like this silly little book that's like it's a little it's like 70 pages right but it's like you know like kind of comic style a little bit and you know it's for kids but he just read the whole thing all by himself oh, that's oh sweet God. what happened <laughs> good mary how did you get this old yeah the magic of reading transported to a world anyway uh what else you got you want to move on i'm ready to move on i think all right let's do it okay I've got the next section. Sir Duncan the Tall. Dunk makes his way back to his shady elm pavilion, reflecting on what it will take to buy this armor, and what it will mean if he loses it. There's a great risk to riding in tilts and putting her armor up in the wager. He needed to win his first match or be ruined. It's very high stakes for him. As he approaches his camp, he sees fire, and busts in on a young bald boy from scene 24. He hitched a ride in a cart and is now tending Dunk's camp completely unsupervised or unrequested. He's just doing it. He had washed Dunk's clothes, brushed the horses, made the fire, and caught and cooked a fish. Dunk decided not to beat him, taking pity on another poor orphan from King's Landing. This odd couple finally introduced themselves, the young boy ashamed of and hiding his shaved head while giving him the name Egg and the knight first giving Dunk as his name and being met with uproarious laughter, finally setting on Sir Duncan the Tall. That'll do, pig. That'll do. Mm-hmm. Dunk decides to take Egg on as his squire temporarily, so long as he does, so long as Egg does what he's told. They eat the fish. Dunk sees a shooting star and counts it as good luck, since no one else is seeing that shooting star underneath their fancy cloth pavilions. Sir Dunk wakes up, and leaves to go to the tourney to get his armor, leaving the boy in charge of the camp, but threatening him against leaving all the same. He wanders through the jousting area and market town, making his way to Ashford Castle to enter the lists. Giving his name as Sir Duncan the Tall, 
and providing a brief history of his time with Sir Arlen, well, that hasn't exactly convinced Plummer, the steward, that he is a proper knight. Plummer asks for proof. Any witnesses at all to his knighthood, or knights present here to vouch for him at all? Anything? Huh? 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 Anything? Dunk recalls seeing the Dundarian banner, whom they served three years hence. And the steward tells Dunk to bring him on the morrow. And if Dundarian will vouch for him, he's in there like swimwear. The next task, though, is a sad one. As Dunk makes for the stables to sell sweet for boy, my lord, but to pay for his armor. But as he is saying goodbye to the horse, a procession of knights and archers arrive, bearing the royal banner of the Targaryens. A red dragon on black silk. And with them, three members of the Kingsguard. A man dismounts and curtly tells Dunk to see to his horse. I'm not a stable boy, my lord. Not clever enough! Oh boy. He then asks him to bring him wine and women. I, my lord, pardons. I'm no serving man either. I have the honour to be a knight. Knighthood has fallen on sad days. Oh, double O boy. This guy's an a-hole. Dunk slinks away as a stable boy arrives to steal the spotlight from him. He has no business talking to princes, and that was a prince he had no doubt. The hair and the eyes gave it away, silver and violet respectively. The master of horse dismisses him quickly, though, referring him to a man named Henley about town that could help him. Making his way, Dunk stalks to talk to the Kingsguard. His primary concern being, am I going to have to fight these dudes in the tourney? But he needn't worry. The royal princes are entering the lists, and it's not suitable for the Kingsguard to ride against those they are sworn to protect. Thank the gods, doesn't think he, Dunk does not think he can handle these princes, let alone the Kingsguard. And off he goes to find Henley. And that's the section. So, an interesting little kind of bridge section there, uh, with Dunk making his way to town, and uh, trying to enter the lists and being rebuffed, and trying to sell his horse and being rebuffed, and just trying to kind of be a human and being rebuffed <laughs> by a prince. Uh, what do you make of it? Well, it's yeah. This is when the uh, this is when uh, things get real, right? It begins. It, at first, it's just this simple thing. I gotta win a. I gotta win a match. Yep. And then one match. That's all he needs. And then you got all that crap to deal with, right? Yeah. It's like you know what? I'm gonna remodel my kitchen. <laughs> Then you start remodeling the kitchen, yeah. And you realize you got to do twenty-five little tiny things that turn into great big things because you screw it up before your kitchen's remodeled. And Remind me to never remodel my kitchen. It sounds it. like you've done this. Don't, don't remodel your kitchen. Pay, Listen, pay somebody I, to do it or move. I am not a brilliant man, Matt, but I learned long ago that I'm not a capable person with anything to do with fixing houses. Right. I pay people for things. You pay. You pay. And since I don't have a lot of money, what happens is my house just looks like a wreck. You just don't fix things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, but you know what I mean? I do. It's, yeah. This is when stuff gets real. and uh, but, a... but let's be honest. He deserves it a little bit. I mean, I don't, we haven't talked about this. I had a note in the first section, but we didn't really bring it up. But his knighthood is dubious. Yes, absolutely. It's not. It's not weird that the steward is like, "Hey, man, like, are you?" Right? Yeah. And he doesn't have any proof. And you know, like sometimes when you don't have proof, it's because it's not true. And 
I don't know what you think, but I don't think he's really a knight. Um, as I've thought about it more and more, I was like, at first I was like, I'm going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. But as yeah. you go back and you really read things, yeah. Doesn't seem like it. Doesn't seem like he is. Yep. And and you can't just provide, apparently, I don't know, do they have paperwork for knights and stuff that say, hey, this guy's anointed. He's, I don't know. the guy who knighted him provide that? I don't know. Uh, it, se- it seems like it's more about the septum being there and there's like witnesses and stuff. Yeah, and... you stand a vigil and all that. And yeah, everything. right. It's like a ceremony. Yeah, and that doesn't yeah. have to be done. Uh, they do make it clear that any knight can knight another knight. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting policy, because because it implies something, right? It implies a that they absolutely do trust their knights. Yep. Right. But the position like is that. Uh, esteemed enough. Yeah. Yeah. Carries enough weight. That well and yeah and and also though that like there aren't bad knights. <sighs> I mean, Gregor Clegane, Clegane is a knight. Yep. He could go around knighting anybody he wants to. His whole little band. His whole little band could be knights, and they trust, they just trust the fact that, like, knights won't do that. Yep. And, like, we've seen Sandor Clegane, the other brother, notes how, you know, knights are a sham. Mm-hmm. Well, what's stopping them from just knighting everyone they see? And, you know, so, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a weird policy. They want more knights, or they wouldn't have that policy. They want more of them rather than fewer of them, even if... Some bad apples get through. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a weird thing, I think. And it's something that people don't seem to mess with. Like, is it to the point that if they wanted, say, the royalty, the 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 government wants to change that policy and say, okay, knights can't go out knighting other knights. They have to get authority mm-hmm. from somebody or something like that. Yeah. Is that even something that they could change? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, unless they started requiring paperwork and stuff to prove, like, yeah, I was knighted in this sept at this on this day with these witnesses. I guess that would be one way to do it. Yeah, say, okay, you but, can knight, you can knight whoever you want, but that person has to provide documentation if they want to uh, participate in a tourney or something like that. Oh, it seems like a mess. I did not envision yeah. us talking about this. <laughs> no, me neither. No, I didn't. I didn't do a lot of research in it, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's move on to something I did note. One of my favorite things about about Dunk is his loyalty. Uh huh. When he agrees to something, when he feels connected to somebody, when he has, you know, made a commitment to something, he sticks to it. And here he has taken on a squire the previous night, whom he knows nothing about, basically, right? Yep. And on page twenty-seven. He's already thinking about taking care of him. He's talking about when he used, was smaller, he used to wonder what it would be like to live in a castle, to wake up in the same place all the time, to be surrounded by the same walls, basically to have this level of comfort and security. Stability, yeah. And he says, it may be that soon I'll know what that's like. I and Egg too. Yeah. He's already thinking about the squire who has been his squire and he knows nothing about him, for like 12 hours, right? And he's already got this loyalty to him. Already. And it's amazing. Amazing to me. I love it. It's one of my favorite things about Dunk. Yeah, is it? Just the... 
Go ahead. I'm just thinking back on his other relationships, and it's there. It's 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 a paternal instinct combined with a a sense of loyalty. Yeah, um, and and you shouldn't we shouldn't forget the fact that he sees a lot of himself, or at least some of himself, in egg. In egg, and um, the same situation that he went through with right. Arlen. He even mentions it that that maybe this kid was put here for me to pay back my debt, you know, in that in that way. Uh, at some point in the sections, I don't know where. Right. This is one of the complications of doing this book versus POVs. Is like we have four sections, and I don't remember where all the stuff takes place. Oh right? yeah. <laughs> but you know what? We'll work through it. But. And it belies the whole loyalty that you love about him, and that I think is worthy of your love. It belies the the stereotype of a hedge knight, of someone who jumps from yeah. house to house ship to ship. and job to yeah. job and ship to ship, going where the money is. Uh, and so that's also what makes Dunk stand out, a man apart. Yeah. Because um, he is incredibly loyal. A man apart. Great Vin Diesel flick. If you want to check that one out. What do I know you from? You don't know me. You want to do business or not? It's okay. Did you just say a great Vin Diesel flick? Oh, have we not talked about my love for Vin Diesel yet? I'm a, I'm a big fan of Vin Diesel. I probably just ruined myself for everyone. I uh, I think he's underrated. And uh... Listen, I'll agree with you, actually. I think he's underrated as well. He's just rated so low that it's hard not to be underrated? All right. <laughs> but I can't think of like a a standout like Vin Diesel movie that I just love. No, where you're like acting chops. Wow. Right. Yeah, no, we won't go into it here, but but I think he's better than people give him credit for. Yes. Yeah. We won't go into it here cuz I don't think anyone wants to hear it, but just note Scads of Vin Diesel fan. Um so yeah, a, a, a man apart, I agree. Um Have you ever had to say goodbye to an animal? Um, nothing that wrenched my heart out of my chest. No. Yeah. We had a dog that got, when I was a teenager, that got hit by a car while I was at school. We came home and it yeah. was dead. Yeah. And uh, my dad and I took him out, out west, here in the valley, out towards the copper mine, you know, mm-hmm. before there were houses all over the place. Yeah. And uh, we buried her out there and... Yeah, the hardest part for me was the rigor mortis had already set in, and the hole we dug was not wide enough, and it was like kind of making the little gal or little doggy fit. That was kind of oh geez, like uh, traumatizing. That's that's something from a dark comedy, Matt. Right? Oh uh, man, and that was a little hard. Um, And now knowing that that dog. Her remains were probably are now part of someone's foundation in their house. That's a little weird, yeah. too. But uh, yeah, so as you can see, I haven't had too many <laughs> of a, uh, emotional attachment to animals. I didn't have a lot of pets growing up. Yeah, you? No, no. Strangely, my pets have always been kind of absent when they happen to meet their demise. Uh. My my brother in law, uh, Eowyn's brother. He has had been their dog of, of many years, their family dog of many years. Just kind of got old and yeah. 
it like ended up like dying in his arms. Like I don't know how he knew yeah. that that needed to happen, but like the animal was on his last legs and just kind of like came over to him and was like whimpering and like literally like curled up with him and he held him while he died. Oh. Yeah, and just yeah, it was pretty heart wrenching to even hear that story. Absolutely, but uh, yeah, because to be clear, yeah. like just because I haven't had those types of emotional connections to pets and animals doesn't mean that uh, I hope I don't sound like I'm invalidating people who do have those feelings and those relationships because there are those out there that I mean we've made fun of people right scad that talk about their pets as if they were children but in many cases that emotional connection is there to that point and yeah that's hard. Have we made fun of those people? I can think of one in particular. Oh. All right. Edit out. Oh. That's funny because that is who I was thinking of. Okay, good. <laughs> but I didn't remember that we actually made fun of her. In general, I think it's... People make connections in lots of ways, and so I wouldn't invalidate it. But yep. yeah, I mean, this was, was for sure a sad moment for him. Uh... What about what about uh, what about the shooting star? Prophetic, just something he ends up uh, putting on his shield. Anything? Huh. Shooting stars are brief and inconstant. Yeah. They also could signify like the falling of something. He takes it as a, you know, good sign. A good omen. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Whatever it is, it was something that he kind of needed, right? Oh. His, his, uh, the walls are thick, Theoden moment? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so whether he was meant to see that star and whether it was meant to be something, um, by some godly force that sent it for him to see, whatever that is, it means something to him. And I suppose that's what matters, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of a weird no, thing yeah. to think about, though. Like, when things happen to us that we maybe, you know, attribute to, to uh, I don't know, some something out of this world or coincidence or something, I guess it doesn't really matter where those things come from initially. It's It's more about what they mean to us. And there's power in attributing significance to events right uh yeah yeah or yeah so i didn't expect to go here tonight either but here we are so religion in general Uh right like you know me i'm a non-believer and uh, but but i find i find that other people have tremendous strength in their religion right and if that's what it takes to get them to like you're talking to one be better yeah and do good uh-huh. and you know like then you know who am i to say like fuck that no like you're it's doing good for you so you know i mean there's get political and you know really weird pretty quick with this conversation because i think religion can like organized religion can do a lot of damage to society and i think it does in some ways yep. but like individually i think the those benefits outweigh the damage because so many people need something like that and find it in religion um and it it causes them to do great things and so while 
young me, 22-year-old 20, me, was literally saying things like, fuck God, drunk in the middle of a parking lot, you know, loudly and to anyone that would listen. Um, you know, older me is like, people get their inspiration from different things. Right. And so, you know, wherever it takes. Yeah. And that was his little moment with that, right? Yeah, right. He got inspiration from it. Mm -hmm. Even though it's literally a star burning out or something, or like a meteor meeting its demise or like ending. Uh Uh-huh. And not something that's positive. Yeah, it's, well, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just like Sir Arlen at the beginning of the story dying. Isn't that weird? Yeah. A star dying uh-huh. means something totally uh-huh. different to, to dunk. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. okay. Um, I got a couple, a couple more things maybe. Um, one of them is just a question and I didn't have time to research it. Hmm. Uh, in the great Davos Fingers fashion, <laughs> open question: Is is this you lose your armor and horse in attorney? Is this a George thing, or is this like, is this a common? This is a common thing for for jousting tournaments. No idea. Uh, me neither. Uh, Tell us, Kalisar. Most of my knowledge of how jousting works prior to reading these books came from. Uh, the charming film A Knight's Tale. Nice. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> like he gets that armor. Does he lose it? I'm like I don't think they lose their armor. And I never saw transactions of armor. Um, yeah. Right. Good old Heath Ledger. Used, me rest in peace. The, the guys, the the lenders, all took Paul Bettany's clothes whenever he failed to pay them back. But I don't know if that's the but same. That was thing. not for losing a tilt. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so, without further gilding the lily, and with no more ado, I give to you the seeker of serenity, the protector of Italian virginity, the enforcer of our Lord God, the one, the only, Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein! I love that movie. I unabashedly love that movie. It is underrated. It's great. I think. Yeah. A lot of great performances in that film. Yeah. Including the armorer, uh, I don't think I've seen her or anything else. Have you? Uh, I don't recognize her, no. Uh, hmm. King Robert Baratheon, for everyone who watches the series, in, it, uh, in, that, K- in that film. K2SO is in it. K2SO uh, is in it, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, Vision. and Vision as well. Yeah. yeah. My favorite living actor right now is Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany. Ever since we lost Mr. Hoffman. So. <laughs> Philip Seymour. Yes, I know who you're referring to. We had this conversation (laughs) at least once. Uh, All right, well, I'm glad we spent five minutes not answering that question. Uh, But at least we got a good movie recommendation out of it from both of us. Two thumbs up. How about, about, uh, this is something kind of you brought up in the first section about how... um, how, how how he runs himself down all the time. He gets his nickname because he feels like his name isn't good enough. So he's like, Sir Duncan, the the tall. I'm tall. Look how tall I am. Big guy. Big guy. And that's his name now. 
Like that that wasn't his name before. He just ca- came up with it on the spot. And, and now that's his name. That. It's like, and that's what you're going to stick with? Because he was self-conscious right. about not being from Flea Bottom. And so he's like, I could, I'll just be the tall. This works. Gets the job done. This, It's done. <laughs> I love it. It's such a dunk thing. It's like, I don't know. I'm, make something up. Go. Uh, tall. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You have much else here? Uh, no. It's been great, though. I have one more thing. Okay. Just uh, the interaction with the prince. Asphincter says what? Asphincter says what? What? Asphincter says what? What? Asphincter says what? What? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, what? Exactly. This guy. Wow. What a dick. More on that later. Everything that you want. Yeah. In a dick prince. Here he is. Yeah. Here he is. All right, let's move on. The Prince of Dragonstone, man. Uh, those Kingsguard guys were nice, though, right? Oh, yeah, they were. That That's a bit of a surprise. I, I did have a note about that. The Kingsguard guys, A, a little weird for Dunk to just go up and talk to them. He seems like he's a little a little leery of just, like, jumping to conversations with people that are, like, above his station. And he's like, here we go. And he just goes right up and talks to them, like, here we go. Yeah. Okay. Goes right up and talks to them. Uh-huh. But yeah, they treat him nice. Yeah, it's uh, they're these are big these are big name dudes, right? They're I mean, they're your celebrities. They're your yeah. Westeros celebrities. These guys are meant to be the best of the best. Yeah, like, you know what? Let's do this thing. Yeah, it's like you and me walking up to Kevin Smith and just being like, "Hey, man." So uh, yeah, I'd be like <laughs> me with my music. I'd like walk up to Dave Matthews and just like, "Hey, Dave, you know I write songs too." You uh yeah. let's talk let's talk shop. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey Leo. You act. I've done some community theater. <laughs> let's do this. Let's, uh, and in our heads the readers trade some like, tips. In our, I got some ideas yeah. for you. In my reader's head I'm like, Don't go, don't no, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just so but again it's a little bit like Dunk in the way that he's like, I just have to know this. I have to know. Yeah. I, uh, like this is my future. I have to know. Are I going to have to ride against these guys? And so he just does it. Yeah, just do it. And George Make it takes uh, advantage of the opportunity and does a little bit of exposition, right? right? Yes, some background yep. and mm-hmm. you know, in a way that he doesn't have to just explain it. He lets uh, Roland Craycall do it, right? And uh, yeah, good stuff. I like those yes, guys. Yes, I like those guys. More on them later. Much later. Indeed. All right. Should we want me to move on to section three? Yeah, let's do it. Man, I tried to be it's brief the on this of Dragonstone. one. But this one, okay. uh, he has just, Dunk just talks to just about everybody in mm. all of Ashford Meadow in this section. So let's get to it. So Dunk is able to sell Sweetfoot, finally, for well below what he was asking for. But returning back to the words of Obi-Wan Kenobi, it will be enough. He then sets off to find Steely Pate to pick up his armor, and on the way he makes sure to pass by the puppeteers, this time who are acting out the slaying of a dragon by a knight. Laughing at the spectacle, Dunk throws two coppers to his tall, dark beauty, who had enchanted him the previous night, and he receives in turn a smile as sweet as any he had ever seen. Summoning his courage, he clumsily asks if she would join him for a drink, or at least a sausage. Oh, Dunk, we're already going there. Um, they're made of pork, I think, he says. 
<laughs> she turns him down, but not unkindly. Not unkindly. So further making his way to Steely Pate, Dunk passes by a stocky youth and a muscular knight, both adorned with the red apple of House Fossaway, going at each other with wooden swords. Muscly knight overpowers stocky youth, seemingly not for the first time, and then notices Dunk passing by, and muscly knight challenges him to a practice bout. The younger, beaten Fossaway urges Dunk to accept and to knock the seeds out of the other. Dunk turns down the offer, and as he's walking away from the jeers and mocks of his challenger, this younger Fossaway hurries to catch up to him. Introducing himself as Raymond Fossaway, he reveals that he's but a squire who can't seem to get his cousin, the bigger Fossaway, to actually knight him. Uh, moving to chit-chat about the tourney, Dunk tells Raymond that he doesn't plan to enter the lists until the third and final day, hoping that by then some of the better fighters might have already fallen. Even so, his status as a hedge knight means odds are stacked against him. You see, here's how the tourney works. Lord Ashford's daughter, whose name day the tourney commemorates, is the Queen of Love and Beauty. Five champions, knights of great renown, would wear her favor and defend her. All other entrants in the tourney are challengers, and they challenge the defenders. And any challenger that defeats one of the defenders or champions then takes that one's place as a champion themselves. And then the five left at the end of the three days are like kind of the winners, I guess. And it says they get to determine if the fair maid retains her title of Queen of Love and Beauty. Big whoop. Uh, Dunk knows it's a long shot, but he also knows, as we've talked about, that just one victory would set him up in a way that Sir Arlen never had, even if he was champion but for an hour. Later, back at the campsite that was impressively maintained by Egg, Doug sh Dunk shows off his new armor. Egg's underwhelmed by how simple it is, devoid of crest or other ornament. But plain is fine for the likes of me, Dunk replies, explaining how function should trump beauty. Dunk then proclaims that Egg will go with him to the tourney grounds the next day. And he's mildly surprised when Egg seems hesitant, particularly about entering the castle. Dunk chalks it up to shyness before leaving to find Sir Manfred Dondarian. Find him he does, but uh, the chat doesn't go quite as well as he'd hoped. Despite Sir Arlen taking an injury while in his service, Sir Manfred doesn't seem to recall exactly who he is, saying he shouldn't be responsible for remembering one of 400 knights from years ago. Um, this reader gets it, I understand, but he's kind of a dick to Dunk and uh, dismisses him. So crestfallen, Dunk returns to Ashford Castle to find Plummer, the steward, but he doesn't have an endorsement. He arrives there to find that Plummer's unavailable, but in the Great Hall. So Dunk heads over there, and he finds him speaking with Lord Ashford and a few other men, two of whom are having a spirited discussion regarding their children, I guess some of whom are supposed to be participating in the tourney. Just as Dunk's considering stepping away from the awkwardness and uh, coming back later, his presence is noted by one of the heated debaters. And would you say he's a master debater? Mm -hmm. And well, there's no mm -hmm. turning back. Mm -hmm. 
So Dunk, God's bless him, goes for it and just explains his situation to everybody and anyone who will listen. The one who noticed him, a strong, severe-looking man who Dunk takes for a prince, is dismissive. But the other, also a princely figure and seated in the high seat of the Great Hall besides, says he actually does remember Sir Arlen of Pennytree from a tourney 16 years ago where Sir Arlen had had some success, and then also from nine years ago where he himself broke four lances with him before finally taking him down. Dunk remembers this story, although he'd heard it was seven lances, not four. Uh, He also remembers that the prince had taken, this princely figure, I should say, had taken no ransom from Sir Arlen. Uh, And Arlen had, in turn, always hailed him from that day forward as the soul of chivalry. Now, wait, I, I did mistake myself and say prince. Prince, yes. Yes, Dunk realizes. Dunk the Lunk, thick as a castle wall, then realizes that he is actually speaking to Baylor Breakspear Targaryen, hand, hand of the king and crown prince of the Seven Kingdoms. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. The other man, wait, there's more. The other man had called him brother, meaning that this other guy could only be Prince Makar, fourth in line of succession, but a formidable warrior in his own right. Uh, yay? Baylor, who seems to be about as agreeable as anyone could be, like, ever, declares that he sees no reason why Dunk shouldn't be allowed to participate, stating only that it is because he is not of Ser Arlen's blood that he must repaint his shield with a new sigil. Oh, like, that's it? Okay, party on, I can do that. Uh, And that finally takes us to the final interaction of this section. Dunk, now with Egg in tow, heads back to his crush, the puppeteer, who is just finishing a show depicting Jonquil and Florian. Uh, Thankful for a reason to actually talk to her, Dunk notes the beauty of her puppets and asks if she could, you know, she painted them. Yeah, she says. Cool. Could you paint my shield? She says she could and asks what he would like painted. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, shield things like stuff on a shield, things that go on shields. So as we've established that Dunk does, he wings it kind of, uh, and it comes to him. Wow. When he puts his mind to something, he actually can come up with some good stuff. So he comes up with a sunset colored field because Arlen loved sunset. Uh, then Egg jumps in and says, and uh, like a big uh, elm tree, put a tree in there. Yeah, yeah, that'll be good. Uh, and then let's do um, a shooting star above it all, Dunk finishes. So, can do, says the puppeteer, who introduces herself as Tansel, called Too Tall just by some. And with that interaction, we, uh, we end the section. Yes, and Dunk has said, you're not too tall. You're just right. For just what? Just right for what? Just right for what, Scad? F- for puppets. Which is my new compliment. It's my new go-to yep. compliment. Yep. I, the next time I'm single and hitting on a woman, which will be never. <laughs> Hopefully, yep. Uh, or man. 
Yeah. You're just right for puppets. Will be my go-to compliment. And it can be we'll anything. That goes. Yeah, it doesn't have to be tall. It could be you're just you're. If they listen, if they happen to be a puppeteer, that is going to be a winning compliment. Well, as a matter of fact. <laughs> oh, poor Dunk. Uh, you know he's learning. I was no smoother at 16. I'm no smoother now. Let's be let's be clear. Oh man. Uh, yeah. you know, but it wasn't it wasn't a great moment. I I've already I've already told uh, my better half that if something heaven forbid were ever to happen to us or to happen to her or something, I would just die alone. I just, oh, for sure. Because I, I got nothing. Yeah. And re-entering that whole arena just sounds yeah. absolutely exhausting to me. I mean, I I I think part of me would be like, at some point, would be like, all right, you know, like let's go. But I, nah, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think I'd be able to figure it out. <laughs> you know. Yep. Like at some point, I would get lonely. I'm a person that likes people. Uh-huh. I would be lonely for sure. I I I desire that kind of interaction, but I I don't know that I'd succeed. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, at least you got your looks going for you. I wish that were true. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so one thing about this shield, a you know, thick as a castle wall or not, you know, he comes up with the idea of Tanzel painting the shield in seconds. I don't know if he went up there thinking that, or just it comes to his mind quickly when she admits to painting them herself. He's like, oh, painting, yes, comes up with that in zero seconds. Good job. But also the idea is interesting. I mean, if you look at the shields, most of the shields are, like, very simple. They're their colors with a simple device, or, like, one simple thing very front and center. He's describing, like, a pastoral scene with a night sky and a beautiful elm tree. It's like a, you know, it's like a Bob Ross foundational piece. Yeah. It sounds, it's, you know, it sounds lovely. It's going to get hacked to pieces. Maybe that's why they always keep them so simple is because simple. shields, yeah. you know... They tend not to last. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Anyway, just noted that. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, really? You want all that stuff? Do we have to have the shooting star? <laughs> Do we? Maybe just the yeah. tree would be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, we're burying the lead a little bit. I mean, the, the focus, the, the most important part of this chapter is we meet the most interesting man in the seven kingdoms yeah this guy's like baylor breakspear uh yeah like oh how long ago was the black fire rebellion from this like 15 years or something 12 years something uh yeah he's like most interesting man in westeros every year since then yeah yeah he's uh, he's a stud uh he you I, I mean i think you get the sense well i don't know i George wants you to believe this guy is a superstar. Right. Just in the just in the the simple way he offsets this conversation that these guys are all giving a hard time, it's totally unacceptable, nothing's going right in this chapter, and then here comes this person to offer a, some sense of dignity and grace to the situation for a guy that's just trying his best and as a reader elevated from the story and not experiencing it yourself, you can just see how kind like this, Baylor can see how much this guy is struggling, how hard he's trying. He's like, you know what? I'm going to give this guy a break. Why not? Why not? We can not? be good to each other. Yeah. Why not? We can be good to each other here instead of being dicks. Right. 
and and he has no skin. And he can back it up. Yeah, like yeah, Dunk probably isn't going to do anything for him in the end. No, there's no reason for him to to do this. No, he yeah, he's not doing it out of any sense of gain. Yeah, right. Which princes don't have to gain because they have whatever they want. Yep. But also, it's not just all this. This is the this is the the clincher for me about how great he is. It's not just all talk. It's not just what I said about, oh, let's do this fellow human a kindness. He actually does remember Arwen. Uh-huh. He can he back actually it backs up it up with stories yeah. from sixteen years ago. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Sixteen is... years ago. Yeah. Yep. This is a guy Amazing. who, since that time, had fought in a significant war of the Seven Kingdoms and played a significant role in the the terribleness that was the Blackfire Rebellion and has all the weight in the world on his shoulders right now. And he remembers a, tor- a, a hedge knight that he jousted with 16 years ago. Yes. And then sooner, nine years ago. But yeah, that's really cool. And you know what? He would still come off as a nice, benevolent guy if he would have just said, thank you for your time. I'm sorry for everything. You know, and was still nice to him. But, you know, there's nothing we can do if you can't follow the law. So be on your way, sir. He could still been a nice guy and said that. But no, he he's like, I'm going to do something for this guy. And I'm going to do it yep. to be nice. And uh, Baylor's cool, man. Indeed. They talk about how and... he, uh, just the look of him, right? He's dressed very simply, but he carries himself in a way that you know he's more than than what he might look like on the outside. Yeah, gravitas, they call that. Everything. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you have anything more on Baylor, or should we move on and get some other things in this chapter? I assume you I do, mean, too. He's no Willis Tyrell, but he's awful close. Yeah, he may be better, Matt. I don't know. I just have a soft spot, soft spot in my heart. You really... realize we've never heard him speak. I do. I don't need to. <laughs> you say it best when you say nothing at all, Willis. <laughs> oh, jeez. Wow. Just limp your way on over here. (laughs) So, Dunk gets a few silvers in his pocket. He does. And like an 18-year-old Kevin Smith with a credit card. I think think Kevin was more like 25 or something. Yeah, old-ish. But instead of wasting it on hookers and blow, Dunk invests in his future. Buys the armor, tries you know, believes in himself. Yeah. Just like Kevin Smith. I'm putting all this credit card debt into my movie. Yeah. Doubling down. Yet he did he did splurge a little bit, right? He splurged at the inn with the few silvers he found with Sir Arlen. He's like, I'll have both. I'll have both the lamb and the ale and the duck. Bring it all to me. I'm eating tonight. And he splurged a little bit. He splurges here too with the sausages and tipping Tanzel. He reminds me a little bit of Quoth in uh, Name of the Wind. Uh-huh. In in Name of the Wind, if you guys don't know, I don't want to spoil too much, but 
the the main character is beset by financial hardship from the beginning. It's this whole and theme. Yep. It's this whole thing where somebody on t- on Twitter had a great tweet about it. I can't remember exactly, but just like it's it's you it, it you would not be overstating it by saying it's it's an adventure story about a man evading his financial troubles. <laughs> like it's it, it's and it, it's agonizing to read. Sometimes it makes me tense to read. Yep, it's incredibly because stressful. He's got no money and like, <laughs> yeah, how is he gonna how is he gonna overcome this financial problem? Maybe that's why I never moved and... on to book two is I just couldn't handle the stress. <laughs> Uh, well, I don't want to spoil anything for you, so I'll let you just believe that. But, um, but uh, you know, he quote when he when he gets money, he spends it, he spends it quickly, and you're like, don't, dude, like, <laughs> you know, put it in the freaking bank, <laughs> you know? man. I bought two new shirts and I bought some paper, and you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you need tuition. Um, but uh, yeah, he's spending. I'm like, you don't don't spend it. You might need that money for things. Right. Don't. And but he you know he sported it's a little weird you know for the first time you have money in your pocket you are you're like a you're like a kid with a credit card oh I can do I can buy things look at this well and sometimes it's those little things that kind of keep you going right it gives you that energy mm, to take the next step a little bit you know it heightens yeah, the spirits yeah, a little bit that. um this is this is to this is much more severe than maybe this example warrants but we were talking about or i was listening to a a a lady she's the big head behind the whole thrive thing that's going around the thrive movement talking about it's a personal wellness type thing and stuff like that and why would anyone want personal wellness exactly that's what i said (laughs) but this lady apparently she's she knows elon musk really well and Elon Musk oh. has recently had some kind of breakdowns and stuff, right? Um, oh. And she wrote this open letter to him where, because he's been talking about how he's been working 80 hours a week and sometimes he never comes home from his factory because he feels like he needs to be on the factory floor monitoring everything and he's he hasn't seen his kids in weeks and all of this stuff and he's it's kind of led to him having a bit of a breakdown. And... You know, it, sometimes it takes just that. And she's talking about you got to, you know, I understand you want to work, but it takes turning off your phone and putting it in another room and taking a nap for 20 minutes or going out and, and playing catch with your kids. And sometimes it's those little simple things, those little simple splurges, whether in time or in money or whatever, devoting your attention to, you know, taking 15 minutes and reading a chapter in a freaking Star Wars book, getting away from work to do mm-hmm. that that kind of give you that pause that helps you kind of preserve your vigor and motivation to do the bigger thing that you're working on. And I think that's with Doug too, you know, eat the, eat the fricking sausage, man. It's a sausage. If that's what yeah. you're going to, if that's, what's going to keep you going because you do got a big job in front of you and you might as well feel good while you're doing it. Right. That's it. I buy it. I'm not sure I'm I'm into thrive. I don't know what that is. I'm not but either. I I buy I buy the message that sometimes simple things can distract your mind away from the hardship and the difficulty and the overall task of what you're facing and can relieve you of some of that stress. Yeah, you mentioned recently you. you're you're dealing with some deadlines and stuff at work and everything and Yeah. Man, if you're just going balls to the wall on that, it could 
it can really tear you down quick, right? Sure. Yeah. Anyways. You just drink heavily, though, and it all goes away. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't recommend that. I was kidding, and I don't mean to make light of alcoholism. Uh, in all seriousness, Oof. we did we did get we did get a a comment from somebody uh, on one of our episodes where we apparently um, made light of addiction uh, to I think it was opioid. I don't I don't even honestly I don't I hardly remember the conversation. Yeah. I felt terrible um, about about some having made someone feel that way. Um, I felt terrible reading it, but I don't mean to make light of that. Yeah, having you know faced some of it myself. So, uh, all right, let's move on. Um, yeah, you you made you made mention in the in the chapter summary there, the section summary, if you will, uh, that you kind of forgive Dondarrion for not remembering. I do too. You said four hundred. I thought it was eight hundred men they hired. Uh, I don't remember. You know, I mean, my graduating class of high school was, you know, four fifty or five hundred or something. I don't remember all those people. Yeah, I think I certainly couldn't remember all their names. I think it was like four hundred like knights and then a thousand uh-huh. like foot soldiers. Okay. They brought on or something. Like I don't that. know where I got eight hundred for, but anyway, I don't remember one in four hundred. You know, <laughs> I, like I'm not surprised this guy doesn't remember, right? right. Yeah. The you know add in the fact that like they weren't peers for the most part that I was in high school with my well I wasn't peers they were above me too a lot of them but anyway. This guy is a lord, right? He's not looking at them like friends or acquaintances. They're just fodder, they're right? Pieces, they're yeah. they're numbers. Yeah, they're pieces to a victory. And so, like, it's not stunning to me that he doesn't remember. Now, I, I think I think we're very much meant to offset that example with what Baylor remembers exactly. You know, later in the chapter, which which it just does more to set Baylor apart. This is not a man he hired that served with him for lots of time. This is a man he put some thought into for about once upon a time and still remembers him. But I'm not stunned that Dendarian doesn't. Right. And and I think we're meant to see the difference in Baylor, the hand of the king, the heir apparent to the throne and everything, seeing something in Dunk to the point that he goes, you know what, I'm going to help this guy out. And Dondarian, yeah. who he could have gone, you know what, don't remember him. But uh, I'm gonna give you a shot, kid. If all you need, Could've. if all you need is for me to come and vouch for you, I'll come and vouch for you, and then it's up to you to see how you do. But I'll, I'll do you yeah. a solid, you know. Yeah. Yep, I agree. He could have. You're right, and it, it speaks to Baylor that he did. You have uh, anything else for this chapter? Um. So we meet some new characters. We meet Raymond Fossaway, right? Mm. Uh. Mm-hmm. But. Nothing really of note on that yet. At this point, it's more of just another way for George to get some exposition out of the way. Um, what do you think of this uh, this this way of doing the tourney? <laughs> well, I don't think it's a fit for Dunk. That's for sure. Um, you know, the, you, I think you said it in your summary, like the idea that he's going to wait a few days until some of the weaker riders are out. Not exactly. What you get a few days later is the All best the people best. are the champions. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this is not going to work well. I did. I like uh, paused that when I was reading it. I was like, had to like think for a minute. Yeah. I'm like, really? Is that? 
Is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, part of me is like, could he just, could he just take the money from sweet from from uh, that, that he sold sweet for, buy the armor, and walk away and try a different tourney? Try try a tourney with a melee, right? Where you can maybe use your size to win something, because yeah, this is not a good fit for him. Yeah, I mean, he he notes. I don't remember whether it's in this section or the next one where there are people tilting, or maybe it's even in the next next episode. But the, where there are people tilting at the at at the uh, Quintins Quintains, and uh, you know, he's like, oh, they all they all have a better seat than me. Yep, <laughs> every single one of them. <laughs> it's like that's a signal, mm, right? Yeah, let's see how this goes. Yeah. But but I think that might also what you said is true and and it might also suggest that although Dunk has convinced himself that it's about the money um maybe it is about a little bit more. Right? He even says even if he was champion for but an hour it would be worth it. Um is he playing kind of a long game here noticing that there's lots of lords here and that maybe if he gets noticed he can get his shot at that stability that he's found himself thinking about. Yes. I, I think, I think it's very much more about this is a shot and I have to take my shot and it doesn't really matter what the odds are. This is when I have to do it. And I guess all I'm saying is I don't know that that's true. I don't know how often tourneys happen, but could he do it some other way and get right. notoriety? Yeah. He has to do. I think. I think in his head, he ha- he feels like he has to do it, and he wants for sure the prestige and and getting noticed and the security that we've talked about. I just sometimes sometimes people are impatient, and I don't I don't know that he couldn't have eked out life as a hedge knight for a while with this new armor that he bought, right? And look for a better opportunity. Yeah, like uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Like this is a shot. But yeah. is it your best shot? Right. right. And he's not, you know, again, he's 16 or 17, depending on, you know, whatever. So I'm not going to, like, rail on him too hard again about it. Like, he sees a shot and he's taking it. And like I said, when you're that young, you just take shots. You don't you don't think about them and later regret them for not doing them. Uh-huh. You just do them. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I just have one one more tiny thing. Okay. I find the gold shaving thing hilarious. <laughs> so he gets paid by Steely Pate, Steely Pate right? Uh, or no, sorry, no, no, he gets uh, paid Henley. by Henley to go pay Steely Pate. So he gets paid by Henley, and he notes that like the edges of one of the gold coins is is shaved off. And like, is there is this a thing? Is this a thing in this world? Where, like, are there people that literally literally skim off the top of the coins? And then, like, melt it down together to, like, make gold things to become a fortune? Yeah, did they get enough shavings like, that they end up... Yeah. So that was like, what I was thinking. Did they, what do they do with the stuff they shaved off? Eventually yeah. they get enough to make a new coin? Right. Nothing? What are they, is, that a life, is that a lifestyle? Like, somebody that's dealing in insurance or usury or something where they... Every time they get a gold coin, they shave a little bit off and they've got it in a little sack and then... Eventually, they take it to a, you know, a melding shop, and they get a new coin. Like, what do they? What is their long game? It seems like an awful lot of work for. 
not yeah. without a payoff. <laughs> like, oh, I don't like the horse you're selling me, so I'm going to shave a little bit off and give you a little bit less. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird... It's just a weird... My brain can't get around like what the benefits are to doing it. <laughs> or is it just meant to demonstrate that Dunk isn't going to go down without a fight? He knows yes, he's kind maybe. of getting raked over the coals on this. and Although he pulls a nice trick with the saddle. Yep. That the old saddle trick. Yep. It's a little bit. I bought this car. Did you buy the keys? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh... Anyway, just a silly little thing that I thought about. I hear you. Glad you brought it up. These are the important questions. These are these are the questions you will only get at Davos Fingers. <laughs> Why do people shave coins and what do they do with it? Maybe they eat it. And what are Vin Diesel's best movies? A Man Apart is up there. Yeah. <laughs> What's the one where uh, he's like the babysitter? That's the other one. So it's I I admit that I went and saw that theater that in a theater alone because no one would go with me. <laughs> the pacifier. That's what it's called. The pacifier. It's not a good film, but uh, yeah, he has some. We'll leave it at that. Okay. Okay. Ready to move on? Yeah, let's do it. Madness at the tourney. The day of the tourney has arrived, but Dunk will not ride today, as previously mentioned. Nevertheless, nevermore, he has a tummy ache in anticipation. Or nerves, or fear, whatever. He can't eat, okay? As Egg breaks his fast, though, he chitters and chatters away about nearly all the knights in the list. He knows something about all of them, speculating on how they may fare. Dunk barges his way near the front and promptly puts Egg on his shoulder so he can see. He sees the pavilions of the five champions at the north end of the lists, two orange for the two Ashford boys, a larger green one for Leo Tyrell, Sir Humphrey Hardying in a red and blue pavilion, and last but certainly not least, Prince Valar Targaryen in a black pavilion with scarlet pennons hanging off like flames. When the horns blew, the challengers came forth immediately. The Lord of Castle Rock and his son Tybalt challenged Leo Tyrell and one of the Ashford sons. It will also be Lord Tully versus Lord Harding and Sir Abelard Hightower against Valar and Sir Lionel Baratheon the Laughing Storm against the younger of the Ashford sons. They all gain their positions, beautifully adorned, and the horn blows. All five matches begin in earnest at once, the horses churning the grounds beneath them, the lances dip, the riders steady in their saddles, and they crash into each other. All men keep their seat. All men break their lances. A great omen for the tourney. Now look, Kalisar, I could easily just read all of this to you just straight from the book. It's that fun. This is written in a very fun way. But I'd get sued by somebody, I'm sure, so I won't. I'll keep the tourney events a little bit brief from here on out. Suffice to say that the two Ashford boys lose their bouts, uh, but very honorably, against quality knights. Valar, Harding, and Tyrell all maintain their spots. Dunk starts to wonder at his opponents, his possible opponents. To him, Valar seemed weakest, and he drew the weakest foe. And he does so again for a second bout with Sir Gawain Swan, an old man who comes up to challenge him next. All three champions win their bouts this time, though Valar somewhat unconvincingly in Egg's eyes. It was not well fought. Again, for brevity, the morning and the afternoon are filled with big names and great bouts, all the champions maintaining their places. Then a new challenger, bearing a slightly different dragon, enters the lists. Arion Brightflame, and Egg's legs tighten around Dunk's neck, as Dunk recognizes the man who had insulted him at the stables. 
Arion stops at his cousin's tent, but laughs and moves on to strike the shield of Humphrey Harding. As the horn blows and the horses charge, Egg shouts from Dunk's shoulders, Kill him! He's right there! Kill him! Kill him! As the horses near each other, Arion lowers his lance. Too low. Taking the animal in the neck, it falls, screaming, crushing Humphrey's leg as it falls. The horse is dispatched as Arion is physically restrained from attacking the beaten and defenseless Harding. Egg asks to get down. Visibly upset, they leave the viewing area. Dunk tries to remind him that squires must be brave. You will see worse mishaps at other tourneys, I fear. It was no mishap. Arian meant to do it. You saw. Rather than disparage a fellow knight and a prince, Dunk insists that Arian just lost control of his lance. The tilts were done for the day, and so is the last section of this episode's reading. Delightful. Delightful. Miss Arian. So... <laughs> so he purposefully murders a horse. Mm-hmm. Not the first time we've seen interesting jousting techniques with a horse. Huh. To try to uh, to whatever could you be referring? I could be referring to the uh, the hands tourney in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. No one was killed a horse, of course, but. Uh, Loras used a mare in heat to distract the horse of uh, of Gregor Clegane. Who Gregor to, does then will. kill the horse, right? Gregor does, kills yes. Kills his own. Yes. Kills his own horse. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I mean... I, I mean, I want to save some of this stuff with Arion for later. Mm-hmm. But it's nuts. I mean, one of the things that, that we didn't really talk about in the previous section about Makar and Baylor is Makar is very interested in having his family represented yep. at this tourney and being represented well and with pride. And here comes Arion to do what is a despicable act something that I think will not earn his father any sort of pride. Um, I don't think anyone's going to believe it's an accident. Um, I don't know. What do, what do you think about this whole thing? I think... Yeah, going back to Makar, that's maybe a different question. It's He's maddeningly interested in his... in the appearance of his family more so than the like actually who and what they are and what they're going through and you know mm. <laughs> yeah he's got a complete psycho for a son um and it sounds like that psychoness or those issues aren't being revealed just now on the tourney field uh, i get the impression that it's been something that's been apparent before um he doesn't even know where his other sons are they're off missing somewhere, right? And yeah, two of them. Yeah, it's it's kind of Taiwan esque in a way. Uh, that focus on the appearance of everything, uh, the appearance of of power and stability, and 
we got this yeah. thing figured out <clears throat> more so than actually making sure that things are figured out <laughs> individually with each of his kids. So, yeah, it's hard. But at the same time, it sounds like Arion, you know, going back to how Barristan Selmy described it in A Dance with Dragons, uh, has the taint, the Targaryen taint. Yeah. Right? Taint. Uh, it's very Viserys Targaryen for making comparisons. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I think, like you like you mentioned, I think we might talk a little bit about that later. We will. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I um, his motivation must, I, I, I just can't, I don't know why you would do something like this. Right. Unless, unless he saw the strength of the, of the riders and knew he couldn't beat them. And so he just had to make a show of some kind. You know, there are those people in life that like, they, they have to be the center of attention in some way. Even even if it's in like a bad way, oh yeah. And like maybe maybe he didn't want to lose and didn't think he could beat any of these people, and so did this. Yeah. And is that a cry for attention or something? Are we getting too psychological here? Right. It could be. It could be. Your teenagers and... acting out to get the attention. Um, yeah. But man. Yeah. That's a pretty way bad. To do it. And then yep. not only does he do that, but then he goes to finish the job, right? Talks about he turns around and yes. dismounts from his horse, gets out his sword, and he's heading over to finish Humphrey off. Yeah, the goal of these tourneys is never to kill In your fact, opponent. In fact, it talks about how after that, the first <laughs> tilt that you described, the five-on-five, five, it talks about how they walked off arm-in-arm arm after they were all done, congratulating each other. Yeah. I don't remember the exact words that he used, but... Kind of shake hands and good yeah. job. It's like a hockey fight. A lot of the guys, you know, will give each other a pat on the butt after the fight's over. It's... Yes, well done. No, this is a dangerous activity. It's it's, <laughs> it's mentioned so dangerous. Uh, this, this is this is this is not a friendly game of pickup, and 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 part of that danger probably leads to some of that, uh, you know, some of that arm kind of brotherhood feeling yep. after it's over. Mm-hmm. Right, the the danger adds something to that element. But but he has, and, and I think everyone participating knows, like, yeah, someone could die here. It's possible. These things do happen. It's always a possibility. But they're all participating, they're all participating, trying to do it in a safe way to protect each other. And this guy purposefully brings it down to violence and bloodshed. Yep. Turning the Taking attention Taking the game. Yep. Yes. And I don't know, another comparison. It's just like the guy at the pickup game that just takes everything way too seriously. Oh, yeah. this We're all having fun here, man. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? You know? <laughs> yep, you're absolutely anyway, right. We spent a lot of time on it. We can move on. Uh, I still think, having read these rules and, and seeing the first rides in this tourney, that Dunk's best chance might be to just fall off his horse on purpose. <laughs> and try to beat somebody yeah, off. Yeah, because after you're down, <laughs> like, yeah. You're not out. Yeah. Man, you mentioned it, though. Um, and and so if we get in trouble, I'll get in trouble. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But, guys, if you want to read just some an example, and I know there are many, but an example of how brilliant George R. R. Martin can set up and describe a scene, check out his descriptions and scad you summarized it wonderfully as well 
his descriptions of that first, the first tilt, right? It's amazing. Oh it's my so good. Gosh. And, you know, underscoring some, something that we said earlier about how different these series are and the different feel they have, you know, like compare, compare this tourney to like the tourney of the hand. And it's just so much more like fairy tale, but still, you know, grounded in, you know, in, in, in real details, but just kind of, I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to say it exactly. It's just, it's so epic mm -hmm. compared to what we read in the other tourneys, which are, are muddled in the politics. Yeah, and they're the, kind of the backdrop to right. know, Littlefinger's games and right. Sansa and her issues and all that. And right. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, this is just an epic description of a, a tourney in the field. It's it's awesome. Yeah, I loved reading it. I read it several times, and it's just a couple yeah. paragraphs, page fifty six in our books. Ten pairs of gilded spurs drove into the flanks of ten great war horses. A thousand voices began to scream and shout. Forty iron-shod hooves pounded and tore the grass. Ten lances dipped and steadied. The field seemed almost to shake. Ah, oh, I mean, it's just brilliant. It puts you right into it. And using those numbers yep. in that interesting way and everything, it's just, oh, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. George, goodness gracious, man. I love you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I've got a question that I can't answer, and I I wonder if you can. You can't answer it. <laughs> well, what, why are all these people here? Why, why are all these notable names competing in this tourney? Mm -hmm. Lords, I mean, we said it's dangerous. Many big-name lords risking their lives in this tourney to, to defend this queen of love and beauty, I guess, or, you know, whatever. I, I I tried to look up Ashford and the, it, there's not a ton on it. Like, is this is this guy some huge lord that they're trying to make sure is happy? Like, why is everyone here for this? Is it? Yeah, the I thought about that too. Why do they come to this? And the only like our world comparison that I could really think of that made me go, ah, oh, maybe it's just the way it is, is like how all these artists, uh, actors, and stuff go to like award shows oh. right they're really kind of worthless but you turn up and you wear these super expensive dresses and all that stuff and you go and sit for three hours or more and you just kind of do it because you do it right you're famous yeah. so you're expected to go even if you're not up for an award you people still go to these things but like you mentioned, the stakes are a lot higher in this. You don't yeah. go to the Academy Awards potentially to die. <laughs> the, the biggest risk is you trip on the carpet and there's memes yeah. tomorrow. This is like right. you could be seriously maimed and or killed by yeah. going to these. But was that just kind of how it was back then? I mean, their celebrities, our celebrities act in movies and write songs and perform songs mm -hmm. and stuff. These celebrities... Performance. That is their so celebrity. It's like their chance to like enhance their story. Yeah, yeah that may be their it. celebrity is violence. I just right? thought now, just now, that like maybe it's maybe it's like an unwritten kind of check in regarding like the Blackfire thing. Maybe. Like they're because they're all they're in the center of the reach where a lot of the houses that kind of 
fought for the Blackfires were based. Maybe it's like, okay, we're all going to come to this thing and we're just going to check in and see how things are. Yeah, the, right? You know, the, the prince and Hand of the King are going to be there. Mm-hmm. This is a way to kind of show. Just kind of, yeah. That things are good with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of a roll call. Maybe. Yeah, that's a good thought. I don't know. Scott. I mean, that's, I thought of that. it's not hinted at at all. Nope. I mean, and Dunk wouldn't have those thoughts necessarily. So I don't know how they would hint at it. But but there has, to, know, it just, there has to constantly be that that uh it's not a curiosity but kind of that wondering of allegiance because everyone is so disconnected right they're all off on their own lands and hopefully the liege lords are keeping track of their vassal lords but you just kind of never know yeah yeah i mean big names right i mean these are heads of houses heads of houses yeah yeah leo tyrell right the the future king Right? Yeah. I mean, this is not a small thing. Yeah. At, Baylor, Ash- at Ashford Meadow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Baylor. But Baylor wasn't going to, he was just there. He wasn't, as far as. Oh, no, know, he's not he's in not it. But planning it, on participating. Right? No, no, not participating. But even just but being, being there, there. Like, it's just. Making an yeah, appearance. Like, why are you, well, yeah, why are you there, yeah. man? For Ashford. Like, you don't have, you're ruling a kingdom as hand. What do you, you don't right. have, the king is shitting. Go wipe. Yeah. <laughs> you know oh man i know it's your dad but when weird but come on uh all right uh what else you got anything um just some fun little names that came up for us that have read you know a song of ice and fire it's really fun to see these different names pop up yeah. that we recognize and everything uh lionel baratheon the laughing king he of quite the laughing storm, laughing storm quite possibly yep. the greatest nickname in all the books i think it's probably my favorite storm. nickname yeah you've got a soft spot the for laughing Baratheon. storm yeah i do but but just because storms aren't laughing storms are serious business they're menacing and you know and he's out there just the, laughing through it yeah but but also like this deep rumbling thundery laugh maybe the laughing storm you know like uh, I don't know. Something about it. I love that nickname. Always have. Good. He is uh, Triple B and Stannis and Renly's great-grandfather. Yes. Right. Um, we've got Damon Lannister, who is Tywin's great-grandfather. Uh, so we get a lot of these guys that we can make connections to, and that's kind of fun. So Tybolt was, uh, was Tywin's dad's dad. Yes. Right? I think. Tywin's dad. Yeah. So Tybalt would be Tywin's grandpa. Right. Yeah. What was Tywin's dad's name again? Um, you know. You know. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Oh, gosh. It's been now. Yeah, we're terrible. Now the, it's been three months. Now the, we're out. We're out. We're, coming off, we're out of the Song of Ice and Fire, guys. We don't have to know any of it anymore. We're coming off a break and coming Tytos, right? <laughs> Tytos. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So is Tybalt Tytos' dad? Yes. I, didn't, I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. At a renowned knight, yeah. Who else you got? You got more? Um, I tried to look for other connections, like if Leo Tyrell was with Mace or whatever, and I couldn't, I couldn't find those connections. So I don't think I have any more that I really dug into. But you have to wonder. They mentioned Malister. Is he related to Jason in some way? Oh, um, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they all are. I mean, relation. Like... Is, yeah, the relation has to be there. Same last name. Yeah. But uh, right. as far as a direct lineage, as opposed to like an uncle or cousin or something. Yes, right. 
Um, one thing that I forgot to bring up when we were discussing Baylor versus Manfred Tar- uh, Dondarian, Baylor Targaryen was actually married to a Dondarian. Oh, really? Yeah, which, I mean, is of no real significance, but it's just kind of interesting that here Dunk mm-hmm. was trying to get the buy-in from the Dondarians, and the guy who ends up championing him is married to a Targaryen. A Dondarian. To, yeah. I keep almost saying Targaryen. Wow. Dondarian. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Kind of fun, huh? Jenna yeah. Jenna Dondarian is who he was married to. Huh. Uh Yeah, I, lot lots. I mean, so <clears throat> I tried I tried some in Davos After Dark to to make some of these connections of like who's fighting whom and who's supporting whom and trying to tie that back to Song of Ice and Fire, but it's it's a little tenuous perhaps. But uh, we'll get into some of that. Mm-hmm. A little later too. So Lionel, uh, you know, you mentioned my love for the Baratheons. You can totally see Robert in him. Yep, absolutely. loved by the Commons, right? This big, big booming laughter. Yeah, uh-huh. arrogant. He's kind of painted as kind of unstoppable. You know, like disrespectfully, just like takes the ornaments off the armor that he captures and throws it into the crowds. Yeah, just, uh, yeah. So there's Love an it. aspect of a bit of a, a bully. He'll humiliate. A little bit. He won't just beat you. Mm-hmm. He's going to humiliate you. But he does right. it in a way that you like. I don't have a. You begrudgingly still like, like you. You still yeah. kind of like him. <laughs> You're like, oh, you jackass. That's Lionel. Buy me a drink and it's fine. That's a Lionel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Freaking Humphrey Harding, yeah. man. He had a busy day. Yeah, 14, I think it, it said. It said he fought 14 times, Scott. Yeah. 14 in different challengers in one day. Yeah. That just seems exhausting to me. I don't really even like to go up 14 stairs in a day, Matt. Right. Like three seems just about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's intense. Uh, all, all of the champions, really. I mean... I, it seems, uh, it seems excessive to make all of these men do all of the jousting. It's just a bad tourney format. I love this book, but this tourney format is jacked. It's I'm not a fan of something else. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Valar's yeah. getting all the easy ones. Apparently, that's the suspicion, anyways. Yeah. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, I'll just end this section. I think, unless you've mm-hmm. got something else. On just, uh, if you can't eat, something is wrong. Dunk can't eat the morning of the tourney. He's very nervous. He's got mm-hmm. problems. That's again a sign. Heed that sign. Be careful. There's something wrong. You're, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. You're nervous for a reason. Mm-hmm. Moving on. I know the feeling. Uh... I think that is uh, the end of our discussion until Davos After Dark. Yes. Uh, we wanted to get into a quick thank to our Patreon supporters as well, though. Please, um, of course. And uh, want to do a trade-off? Uh, you want me to start? Sure. So, at our dirty cab driver level, thank you, Jacob M. Lady Fat-Ass Red. Jeff H. Archmaester June, healer of the Lesser Poxes. Jeremy L. Jamie K. Donneris. Sarah from Texas. Colin you. 
Sir Stormtheus Snow, the Bastard Storm. Blood Rainier. Yes. Alexander G. And uh, Sir Stevron, the Blue Raven of the Lightning Peck, whose words are, The way must be tried. And at our reach around level, B Word, the Queen Beyond the Wall. And uh, Josh C., Warden of the Reach around. And at our Team John level, Misa. Our lovely Misa, the Queen of Gifts and Beauty. As always, yes. Who who I think I faced in the first round of uh, the Davos Fingers Reach Around League. Oh, Fantasy yeah, Football. that thing kicked off. It did. It did. Yeah. I'm not doing great. <laughs> we'll move on. All right. Uh, Davos After Dark. You ready? I'm ready. So thanks for everyone for joining us. Uh, it's time for us to enter the realm of book spoilers in a segment we call Davos After Dark. Uh, we're, we've tried to keep spoilers out of the main section that we just did, and we'll go into those here. It's a little weird, like we said, given the fact that this happens a hundred years before a bunch of shit we know happens in the other books. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, we're going to try it out. So here we are. Davos After Dark. Davos After Dark. I was trying to think of how this could be done, and maybe it's like avoiding spoilers of what happens to the characters within the story. Yes, right? that's what I'm trying to focus and not, on. Not yeah. so much like events, yeah. like Robert's Rebellion or something like that, that we all know about. Right. Um, but, yeah. Yes, yeah. So, so are we going to start with Who's That Dragon? Yes, we have a new segment within Davos After Dark that we're hoping will be kind of a running a running bit through these six episodes uh, called Who's That Dragon? where we'll just kind of take a deeper dive look at one of the Targaryens that that gets mentioned or talked about or is in the segment. So we're starting with a little bit of a deeper dive. Not too deep. This is, you know, Davos Fingers after all. But a deeper dive look at Arianne Brightflame. Who's that? Who's that? Who's that dragon? And I've started with just uh, a quote from the books here that we'll start with, and then we'll just kind of talk about him a little bit. Prince Arion's lance, gold-tipped and painted in stripes of red, orange, and yellow, swung down across the barrier. Low, too low, thought Dunk the moment he saw it. He'll miss the rider and strikes her Humphrey horse. He needs to bring it up. Then, with dawning horror, he began to suspect that Arion intended no such thing. He cannot mean to. Oh, but he can. Oh, but he can. Because he's fucking nutballs. He's just a screwball. Yep. The madness of the Targaryens. Every time a new Targaryen is born, the gods toss the coin in the air and the world holds its breath to see how it will land. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think we, that's Barry saying that. Um, uh, quoting what he'd heard King Jaehaerys say. Correct. Jaehaerys so, was the Je- first king that he served. Yeah. So, even Jaehaerys recognized that this doesn't always work out the way it should. My family be crazy. Mm-hmm. Half of us. But, um, and obviously we don't get a deep character analysis of every single Targaryen, nor do I think I want a deep character analysis of every single Targaryen. The world book has quite a bit, man. It does. But it seems like 
the ones that truly stoop to this level of just being nuts. There aren't tons of them. Um, there's ones that kind of made nutty decisions yeah. or maybe they kind of went nuts, yeah. but ones who were just like inherently nuts from the beginning who had the taint. You've got Arion, uh, Viserys, um, maybe King Ares. Ares. I would yeah. go with Aegon the Unlight or Aegon the, oh, Jesus, what are the nicknames? Unworthy. Aegon the Unworthy, Aegon the Fourth, I think is what he is, yeah. right? Uh, he was pretty terrible. Yeah, the one that. Well, he wasn't mm-hmm. early. Early, he was a womanizing. You know, he was. He was all sorts of fit and. Yeah, uh, all all sorts of yeah. of attractive and and uh, you know seductive, but yeah, he became yeah. gluttonous and and terrible. They described him uh, as I was reading, like at the end, his skin was like crawling with maggots and disease with and stuff. stuff. I mean, yeah, it sounds oh. awful. Egg on the fourth, but. Uh, yeah, n- not a ton of them. In earlier than that, I don't even know some of the earlier ones. But, you know, a little crazy. I mean, even the ones that aren't crazy have to be a little mad to try to do the things they do. Um, right, yeah, some of them resort. Danny seems sometimes a little mad, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, she makes these decisions that make you go, what? Yeah. Um, yeah Arion, like we're going to talk about with him. He made kind of a stupid mistake. Yeah. I mean, even, even, I mean, even look, egg. Yeah, look at egg. I mean, mm-hmm. you could. Later in life. You could argue that, you know, it, what Arion does. So, Arion, just to bring it full circle, unless anyone, I'm sure everyone listening knows, yeah. Arion dies a year, a year after giving, after he has his first son, I think. Within um, the year. Within the year. Dies yeah. by drinking dragon fire. Because he thinks it will transform him into a dragon. Which is crazy. That's Looney Tunes. Right. And that's extreme. But at least it only cost him himself. Aegon is convinced that he can bring dragons into the world and lights a fire and kills like 30 people or something. Right? I don't know how many people it is. It's probably not that many. But himself, his uh, firstborn son... As well as Dunk, the hero of this story, yeah, um, in his search for dragons, right? So Arion thought he could turn into a dragon, wanted to become a dragon. Aegon sacrifices a lot to try to bring that about as well. And I wouldn't call that mad, but he certainly, you know, seems to be putting things at risk unnecessarily. Yeah, this, and it seems like that comes from... <sighs> whether it's the prophetic dreams or something but it comes with the to this obsession with dragons uh-huh. and it leads them if they're not kind of these nut jobs like Arion was to at least from the beginning to at least make these rash decisions that end up costing lives yeah um like you said it, i don't think egg was intending to do anything close to killing everybody but that's what it turned into and it's like what it's all of a sudden it's like what are you willing to risk to to get to that level of dragon or whatever it's almost like a drug to him or something that you keep pushing the boundaries pushing the boundaries until it ends up hurting you and and others and uh, we see it like you said we start to see it with danny at times 
it's like, man, and we get these kind of cautionary tales of if you focus on this dragon stuff too much, there's going to be problems, Danny. And I don't know if maybe that's kind of a, if George is meaning for us to see that in some of these other Targaryens. I don't know. Well, it's interesting with Dan. I didn't, I didn't even think, I don't, I don't have Danny written anywhere in my notes. I didn't think we'd be talking about her tonight, but, uh, it's interesting you bring her up because she actually could be accused of the opposite of not thinking about her dragons enough. Um, totally. Yep. Towards the end. And well, until the very end when she, you know, she seems to be having this kind of, um, you know, rebirth of who she really is, uh, while she's there with Drogon and, and maybe kind of reconnecting in that way to the dragon spirit. But, could she now relish in that too far and go the opposite way and, you know, yeah. end up ruining things and becoming power crazy or. Yeah. Cause sometimes it's, if with her, it's you're right about her dragons and, you know, locking them up in the pit and everything. But there's always that idea of I am the dragon or I'm the blood of the dragon. And yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so Arion's a bit crazy. Uh, after this stunt, I think it's I think it's directly after this stunt they send him to lease. Yep. Um, to just like live there for a time. Um, he comes back not not too long. I don't think not not too far in the future. But um, I forgot the to write down the the date. But you know he's maybe got possible heirs floating around there. He does have the one son, Megor. God mm-hmm. knows why he would choose that name. But he chose Magor, and this is probably nothing. But this is one of the few people, Magor, who we don't we don't know what happened to him. He yeah, gets it's a loose end that isn't tied up at all, and he'd only be sixty eight years old today. So, like, mm-hmm. he could very easily be alive somewhere in Westeros. We don't know what anything about where he is or what he's doing or anything yeah the last we hear is as a baby he was passed over uh, during the secession crisis um uh-huh. he was in a, because the because the dad was nuts because his dad was nuts <laughs> and he thought that he they thought that he might have the nuttiness uh, along with him but that's it we don't know what happened to him and we don't know what happened to arion's wife denora no so there is the theory out there right that he so I was reading about the bright flame theory hmm do tell the bright flame theory postulates that at some point um Arion's descendants could have you know with Magor at the head could have uh hooked up with the Blackfires over in Essos and if we get some some uh, Mary in there, or at least them getting together, then uh, some sort of descendant coming from this Arion's line mixed with a Blackfire mm-hmm. could come back to Westeros with a claim to rival even Aegon Sixes if if he ends up being what he is. Right? That's another line back to the Targaryens. Is there any theory that he that that a bright flame ancestor is Aegon Six. Uh, not that I could see, hmm. but 
I wonder. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he he's in lease. Like, there could have been, there could be any number. But also, yeah, I mean, Magor, we don't know what happened to him. He could have offspring. That's... And that's where the theory doesn't carry a ton of water, right? Yeah. And that's where I'm kind of one of those that are like, oh, if it works out, that'd be cool. If not, Interest, yeah. it's not well, a hill I'm willing yeah. to die on. I mean, yeah, it's also like, yeah, any any number of things could be if the writer decided to write it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he didn't write anything about Megor because it was uninteresting or, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what spurs that whole theory on is exactly what you said. Gurm is generally very good at tying up ends yes. for yeah. even minorest of minor characters. Yeah. You know, this person died because he got the pox and he's just dead now. End of story. Magor, he got passed over at one year old. Silence. Yeah, yeah this this person would have been known to Amon, for example. Yeah. Amon would have known about Magor. Would have known who he is, would have known what he's been up to, would probably have been corresponding with him unless, you know, he was crazy or something. Maybe maybe his wife took him back to lease or something, and so, you know, he was kind of hidden from court or something. But Amon spends a lot of time talking about other dragons that are around and that aren't around, Mm -hmm. and this guy never comes up. So it's interesting. Totally. I don't have anything to say say about it. Uh, Last thing, I think, on... On Arion. Um you know, we were dancing around it a little bit, but he tortured Egg. He tortured Aegon as a child, threatened to cut uh, off his privates. Yeah, it was uh, sexual abuse, right? I mean, we, it's not spelled out exactly, but it's hinted at. He says you should have been a sister, you know, I'll cut your privates off so you could be a, a girl and then I could marry you. Um, from there, it's just a short step to you know, taking advantage in other ways, I would imagine. Um, and, you know, also threw his cat down a well. I mean, I think he's just mentally abusing him at least, right? Mm-hmm. And just, you know, scarring him. Maybe sexual as well, we don't know. But this is a theme in A Song of Ice and Fire as well. Gregor, um, as well as Euron. Um, yeah, I think Euron comes across as the most obvious example to me, for yeah. sure. Right, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's something. It's something George kind of seems to. I don't know a theme. A theme he seems to enjoy. Enjoy using, mm-hmm. but he sounds awful. Um, I mean, to the point where nine-year-old Egg is begging for a stranger to kill him in a joust. Um, right. You know he's terrified of this person. Goes. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, Egg, he's a ball of sass, and he's a handful, but he's not malicious, right? So for him to want this as badly as he wants it, you know it's yeah. got to be bad, I think. It's not good. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, and we've seen, even just in this in this book that we've read here, in this section that we've read, we've seen that Arion is... Even even without any of the history or the stuff from the world book or anything like that, you could see this guy's a piece of work. Mm-hmm. You can see how it would translate to Egg hating him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all right. So that's our that's our who's that dragon? A deep look at Arion Brightfoot. Who's that dragon? Oh. I've Ooh. got some ideas for a jingle for that. But all right, we'll try to have it ready by the time this episode actually releases. <laughs> I guess we'll see. All right, 
more uh-huh. more uh more novels after dark um the summers have been shorter since the last dragon died and the yeah. winters longer and crueler hmm i mean i thought about this a little bit um yeah me too but not i mean i don't think there's a lot substantial out there i think um i think mythical astronomy vice and fire has stuff about this if i remember right um but basically you're you're hinting at the fact that the magics are tied together with the seasons and that the lack of dragons is actually causal for longer winters yeah i but uh so i was looking back in some of what we've read and Maester Cresson, clear back in a Cox prologue, mentions that uh, that summer that they were just coming out of, the current summer, with no dragons in it, right? Well, I guess there's Danny's at the tail end of the summer. Tail end, yep. But it's the tail end, it's the very end, mm-hmm. um, is the longest summer in recorded history mm-hmm. at 10 years. Mm-hmm. So maybe Arlen. Shoots that right in the foot. It's kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Arlen's not a meteorologist, okay? He's... <laughs> He's not. He's not. Also, you um, know, like, I imagine... I imagine winters seem crueler when you're older. True, yep. The bones ache a little more, you know? This winter is cruel. Yeah. All right, let's but move like on. You've I, said, but like you've said, it kind of it does make you think about the correlation yes. between dragons and seasons and, and others seasons and seasons and, summer and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. It gets to that point where they offset each other even that way. Yeah, with the actual climate, the physical world is affected by them. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. Maester Crescens claim that this summer was the longest in recorded history. With that summer having very little time with dragons, uh, seems to contradict that a little bit. So, yeah, yeah, you'd think so. Uh, Baylor, <sighs> stud. So Baylor dies. He does. He dies of a brain injury. That injury causing his brain to fall out. It's uh, so gross. It is. It is. Uh. I think I think we're meant to believe that like he could have been the best of us. Yeah. I think this one little interaction we get is enough and you get a few more later down the line in this book. But I think I think this one interaction is supposed to be enough to show you this guy is king material. This is the guy you want. Right? And it's the guy who's going to put himself on the line. Mm-hmm. For a hedge knight. Yep. Yeah. And the question that we'll probably be discussing next episode is, was it worth it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's put a pin in that to talk about it again later when we get a little more information. Yeah. But. Yeah. yeah. Uh, easily. It's. George is talking him up, man. This is. This is the guy. This is everything you want. Uh, yeah, and you cheer for him, man. But 
I don't know what else to say about it. No, no, just sad. Just mm-hmm. you. It's just opportunity lost. Right. Uh, it was commonly said that Darren and his sons had left the kingdom secure for all time. All time is a long time. <laughs> well, well, that ended quick. So Darren has four sons. Yep. No, Baylor has uh, Valar and Mataris. Yep. Rhaegal and uh, the other one. They don't Aries. have kids, right? Rhaegal has one. Uh, um, who seems to be simple as well. Uh, yes. And Magor, or, uh, Excuse Magor. me, he had he had twins. Uh, Aelor and Nestid Laura Rhaegal had. Oh. And they, but they both died. Okay, yeah. so no, no, yeah. none currently. Whew. Yes. Um, yep. And uh, Makar has has four. He has four. Yeah. Daron ends up dying of pox. Apparently, an STD. Yes. <laughs> Arion, of course, drinks the wildfire. Amon becomes a maester, leaving us at Aegon. Egg. Yeah. Uh, so left left the kingdom secure for all time, and it seems that way. Lots of heirs, teeming yep. with heirs. Lots of boys, yeah. But whoever made that statement wasn't counting on the spring sickness. Right, the spring sickness knocked out Darren, uh, Valar, and Mataris. Right, yeah, all of them gone, which occurred like. The same, the same year, year as, as this. the Ashford tournament. Yeah. So you you lose Baylor. Yep. And then just within a year, you got Darren, Valar, and Mataris all gone. Things looking really shaky. Which you know, it just reminds me of conversations we've had in the past about heirs, and I think we talked about this when we were talking about Team John. But just like the choice of Benjen to leave when like the line was like too deep. Yep. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Ed Nedard Nedard has Nedard. has uh Rob and Bran and Rickon. Um well I guess you know, Benjamin would have left before Bran and Rickon, but still. Yeah. Yeah, Rob was an infant when yeah. when when he left, I think. Mm-hmm. Um although actually we don't know what year he left anyway. But I did not think we were gonna talk about Benjamin either. <laughs> so I'm not prepared for that. But the point is, uh Seemingly stocked with heirs becomes not stocked with heirs very quickly, um, and that's what's happened here. Yeah. Um, but, and you can't you can't plan for the way that things might have turned out. Like Ares, you know, who did become the king after because he was next in line after Baylor and Baylor's yep. sons. Yep. He all he got all bookish and everything. Uh, I think the quote I had it written down here is that Ares would sooner bring a book to his bed rather than his wife. Yeah, so he left no heirs. Yeah. And I can't remember how he died. He died. Oh, his was one where he just kind of didn't really know. He just died. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then Makar takes over. so, So then you get Makar and then you get eventually Egg. And I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's it's interesting. Um, you know, you have the Blackfires on the other side trying to make something 
make something go go their way. You've got seemingly a, this stable group for the first time since the Dance of Dragons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Dance of Dragons left everything in. I, I I read back on like all that history, and it's just like yeah, kings, like so, like like eight kings or something that ruled for like the longest one was like twelve years or something. I mean, it's messy. It was a messy period for them with a mm-hmm. lot of instability. And uh, yeah, I mean, Darren really, Darren the Good really brought in some some good times for thirty or so years. Yep. Anyway, so let's move on to Dunk, uh, and how he reminds me a bit of Quentin. Yes. So, uh, did you have any thoughts like this? Or maybe I'll, I'll lay them really, out and so then you I'm, can tell me. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. I, well, I might have thought along those same lines, but not equating it to Quint. So. Well, we we covered Quentin pretty recently, and, and one of the things that we, pretty recently, like, you know, four months ago... Uh, one of the things that we talked about quite a bit was just this, this sense that there were signs throughout that he wasn't going to be able to do what he needed to do, that he wasn't fit for the task, that he was What's a square peg. Skywalker or, quote? This uh, isn't going to end up the way you want it to. I'm not uh, saying it right. But, this is yeah. not going to go the way that you think. Yes, I, that. I think, or close to that. Might have missed a letter or two. This is not going to go the way you think. But ju- just that that he's he's not he's not going to be able to complete this task. He doesn't. He's not a fit for it. It's not going to go the way that he thinks, as you said. Uh, and yet, he has no way to stop himself from hurtling toward that destiny. Yeah, he, <laughs> he has to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Even even if he notes the signs, he's still like, well, well so it is. I got to go do it. Same thing a little bit with Dunk, it feels like to me. He's got this opportunity in front of him. He knows. He's like trying to psych himself up and talk himself into it. Like, yeah, stranger things happen all the time. Yeah, it can happen to me. Why not me? You know? But I think he deep down can feel that it's not going to work out. Mm -hmm. But he still can't stop himself. He's just barreling. He's just barreling toward it like... A sixteen-year-old would maybe, but uh-huh. but I see I see some similarities. He's got this yeah, totally task in front of him that he thinks he has to do. He doesn't mm-hmm. think he really has a choice because this is his chance, and so he's going to do it, even though he even notes it's not a good format for him. The tourney, he's not as good a rider as all these other guys. Arlen did his best, but he didn't really know a lot about some of this stuff, you know. Right. All of these things are in his brain, and he knows them to be true, and yet he's hurtling forward toward his destiny. Oh. And he's going to do it anyway. Yeah, I love that imagery of it. Just, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And yet it doesn't. And maybe we'll leave it there for the night. <laughs> because it does not happen. Oh, does it not? And everything goes nuts. Everything goes um, nuts. Yep. He hurdles toward a different destiny, which yep. we'll talk about a lot next next time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's it. Love it. Okay. All right. Uh, well, there, Scad, we got through it, man. We got through it. We, we shook we off indeed. the cobwebs. We took on a brand new... I mean, it's not even like we're moving from A Storm of Swords to Feast Dance. Like, 
we jump to a whole new story. Like, it feels different. I know it's the same author and it's the same world, but it feels different. It's very different. Um, yeah. It was so fun, move, though. Moving it. on to our sign-off quotes, I guess. Yes, let's. You know, Scat, I couldn't help but uh, think of Lose Yourself by Eminem. Mm. In the movement, it's, the moment. Yeah. You better if, never if let it go. Talking about his one chance. You better. So this is Matt saying you better lose yourself in the music the moment you own it. You better never let it go. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Yo. Good night. Good night. And from my end, it's uh, we're back in the saddle again, uh, but it feels like the first time. A couple so a mashup of those, two? a couple song titles there for you. Uh, <laughs> it does. It feels different, and then we've been away from it for long enough that it feels it feels new and fresh. Fresh, probably yeah. because of the material and because of the time away. So it feels like the first time. I hope you guys enjoyed it, um, and we'll see you in a few weeks. I know I did. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go have a cigarette now. Mm. Nope. Good night, everybody. Good night. (laughs) He's not capable of accomplishing the task that he wants to. I just threw up in the sink. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, I wasn't on mute. Um, Is he okay? Just a sec, Scott. Sure, yeah. Uh, So we wanted to uh, give you a little update on what we did on our break. It was long. It was a couple months, but we definitely needed it. What would you do, Scad? Uh, I didn't, I mean, it will pale in comparison to your accomplishments. Jeez. Uh, I read... I read A Wise Man's Fear again, which is the second book nice. from Kingkiller Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I revel in that. I read Leia, uh, which is a fantastic book about Princess Leia, her younger years, and how she uh, how she kind of comes to be the person that she is, uh, her first romantic interest with someone that is not at all a scoundrel. Um, and uh, just uh, that book is just it's layered a lot she does a great job same same author uh that, that wrote lost stars and uh does a really good job anyway recommendation for leia if, if you're into star wars stuff um and uh caught up on some series i, I actually picked up a, a, a book series from my youth uh that from Dragonlance, which is autumns <gasps> of really uh, yeah autumn autumns of uh uh, so Dragons of Autumn Twilight, the first book in the series. I didn't make it all the way through yet. I'm still I'm still working through it. But uh, I picked that up. It is uh, whimsical and juvenile. Oh my god! I mean, in comparison to A Song of Ice and Fire, it's it's uh, it's just so simple. Uh, but but I, I don't mean that as an insult. It's mm-hmm. I mean I have a, a a fair bit of nostalgia. These were kind of the books that got me into fantasy, and so I have a reasonable bit of nostalgia around it. But they're just simple in a beautiful way. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm enjoying that right now. How many Dragonlance books are there? Oh, a lot. I mean, Cause there's they only three. They don't there's all only follow three the in same this... narrative, right? They're... Well, man, how much time do you want me to spend? I mean, they're, Not that they, much. Have a, <laughs> they, they have some central characters in this series 
of the Dragons of Autumn Twilight, Dragons of Winter Night, Dragons of Spring Dawning, that that lead this story, and there are books about each of them uh-huh. in what they call the Meetings Sextet, I think, or the Companion Sextet, something, where there's books about, about them. Um, Caramon and Raceland, the twins, have books, have, have, I think, a trilogy all of their own. And then there are follow-up books about the worlds. I mean, there's lots. Yeah. There's lots of books. Good. I read a ton of them when I was a kid. Um, and I'm not going to go into that deep a dive now, but uh, I'm just reading the three. But uh, I'm enjoying that greatly. And then just TV shows. The last the last month or so, I've been watching some TV shows that I'd heard about that I really wanted to get in before I got back busy with the podcast. I watched Glow on Netflix. Mm, heard good things. Which is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Uh, I can't recommend it high enough. I really like it. And in a strange turn of events, I ended up watching uh, The Good Place, mm-hmm. which is network TV, not Netflix. Almost everything I watch now is like Netflix created, which I feel very mixed about, to be honest. But The Good Place is fantastic. It's original and different and fun, and uh, I recommend it highly. They've just finished the two se- the- season three starts actually next week. Uh, or last week when you guys are listening to this podcast. And uh, the first two seasons are on Netflix and really good. I really like it. Yeah, it's like hardcore network television that's doing it well. Is. It's like on Fox yeah. or something. Uh, yeah, I don't remember which network it's on, but uh, yeah, I really like it. Yeah. I think it's ABC. I've watched but... the first uh, five or six episodes. and then I Of The Good Place? Yeah, then I squirreled okay. my attention other way into other areas, but... <laughs> well just i won't give anything away but there's a twist at the end of the first season or near the end of the first season that makes it all it makes it all just amazing i enjoyed my time watching it when i did yeah so. yeah so you know other than that just time with the family and you know um it's big yeah just trying to relax when i can a, a ton of time put into my D and D campaign, which God, I sound like a nerd now. Uh, but Scott, a lot of time you co-host a podcast <laughs> about <laughs> about novels. Books. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, you know, but like I, I, te- I was tempted to say I'm writing again, but no, I'm I'm writing D and D adventures. That's writing. Um, sure, that's yeah. absolutely writing. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's more like improv because my party doesn't do anything that I expect, and so. I'm just making shit up on the fly. I made up a uh, a meat vendor that works under the sewers of a major city in my campaign named Pete. <laughs> in the last, just on the fly, because because mm. that's what you do when they decide to go to a meat cart. This is meat um, of questionable origin and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I brought up Demolition Man. Yeah, it's like, is it rat? Maybe <laughs> a bowl of brown. Yeah. Mm. Right. So, uh that's my that's my lame break update. What's yours? <laughs> uh I read a lot as well. I read a great book by Quest Love. I read oh my gosh, mm. I dove into Star Wars. I got voracious on the Star Wars really? reading. Yeah, I read Thrawn, mm. which was pretty good. I read um Catalyst, the Rogue One prequel novel. Oh, yeah. I'd started reading it, I think it was our last break, and we just got, yeah. our break ended, and we got into things, and I just couldn't pick it back up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I just went right into and read the Rogue One novel, which was excellent. The novelization of the movie? Yes. 
It was Did excellent. it differ at all? Um, no, it didn't differ. just provided more details. More context. Um, yeah. Great, great context um, into uh, Krennic and his character, mm. which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and then I read Leia as well. Oh. So I got through four Star Wars books. And you should talk about that. Not here, but right. you know, some other time. I loved it as well. Uh, at first, I think the first two or three chapters were a little slow for me. Yes. And I went, am yeah. I going to finish this? Is Am I even going to get through this? Uh, and I got hooked. I got totally but, hooked. But Claudia knows Leia so well. She, Just yeah, like another author that I'd recommend, Kelly Thompson, uh, who wrote the Star Wars Annual and knows Leia pretty well uh, and, and writes her well. She just, she gets... I feel like she just gets the essence of Leia. Stuff that, like, they don't cover at all in the films. They ha- You have to, like, really look for it. But the way she writes that story, it just teases out who Leia really is, and you're like, that makes sense. It makes total sense. Yep. Yeah. Like, I, I had a friend who watched uh, Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis, and they- <laughs> they're like, gosh, he's so good. That's exactly what Lincoln was like. <laughs> and then later they're like... Was he, though? We have no idea what he was like, but the per- but the performance seemed so real. The way Claudia writes Leia, it just feels right to me. Yep, it's it's very believable, and uh, doing it in a way that that still feels it, it manages to pre- preserve this youthfulness of a teenage uh, monarch, for lack of a better word. Yeah, but you still see the shades of the a new hope leia of the empire strikes back leia even Mm -hmm. it's fantastic yeah yeah um so voraciously read uh let's see um i didn't watch much tv which i usually don't one series i got all the way through just recently and am i a little embarrassed to say it not really because it was good it was the uh jack ryan series on amazon prime Oh, yeah. With uh, Mr. Krasinski, Jim Halpert. Big ears. Yep. Yeah. It was, it was, it's hard to separate him from his office role. Yeah. He's the Dan, mm-hmm. he's, you know, it's the Daniel Radcliffe thing. Uh, I just kept, even in this super serious, suspenseful, spyish thriller type series, I kept expecting him to like, look, just like look at the camera and shrug, you know? <laughs> Where's the where's the phone full of nickels? Right, but yeah. uh, it was good. It was good. It was very. It was like it's like twenty four. You know, it's suspenseful. Mm. It keeps you watching. Uh, the yeah. characters are reasonably well developed. Um, it was just okay. No. Well, I have a I have a recommendation for you, Matt. Okay. And sorry, Kalasar. It's going to get personal for Matt and Scad for just a minute. Uh, Daddy, my looks wife personal. Yeah, Aowen is watching right now uh, the uh, Better Call Saul. Yeah. Have you watched Better Call Saul? Absolutely, I have. Okay, you're watching it. Yes. All right. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure because I, it's it feels very much like like uh, Breaking Bad. Like, just the, you know, the feel of the, the narrative. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think you'd really like it, and apparently you watch it already. So fine. I, and you know what? I thought, ah, the character of, of Saul in... Um, in uh, Breaking Bad, he was cool, but I didn't know if I'd like a whole series devoted to him. And they made it interesting, didn't they? Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> yeah, 
It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. am watching it on Netflix's schedule, which means that yeah. currently we're in a season that's airing real time right now. So I haven't watched right. any of that season. So Kalisar, please don't say Don't anything. spoil. Yes. yes, don't spoil. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but thanks for bringing that up. Thanks for thinking of me. Yes. I think of you always, Matt, mm. at nighttime. I, sorry, did I think that out loud? What? What? Where are your hands when you're thinking about me? Um, who, who can say? <laughs> uh, and then finally, been uh, working on music, just playing music and, and writing songs and trying to make those songs interesting and good and trying to get over my crippling fear of sharing them with people. But You shared them with me, I and did. I regret to say that I have not had the time to dedicate to listen to them in a space where I would knew I wouldn't be distracted. So I apologize, but it will happen tomorrow because I can carve out some time, but uh, I'm excited. I think I've heard all of them, but one already, Yes, but have. I'm excited to finish hear the more finished versions of everything. And uh, I'm stoked. Finished ish. Yeah. Finished ish. Nothing's ever done. There were a couple people in the Kalisar that has said they wanted to hear them. And it was like the scariest thing I ever did yesterday. Did you afternoon. share them? I sent them to those people. Oh, I'm so proud of you, man. Uh, yeah, so Heather, Jesse, uh, Anne, Misa, uh, Brooke, or um, Beth, oh my goodness, both B-words from Canada. Um, yes, right. Send them off to them, so the scariest thing I ever did. That's great. Uh, that was my... I won't, I won't ask you to give their feedback here, but I'm curious what they thought. But don't tell me until after I listen. Heard back from one of them, is all. So. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> And like you said, spend time with the family. It's mm-hmm. uh, that's the most important one. Yeah, I do it now so I can ignore them later. Right now, we are embarking in a very long um, period of ignoring our families completely in the <laughs> name of this podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, well, that sounds like a good break. You ready to uh, move on? Yes, please. Hey, Kalisar, episode 75 was a great one. Let's give credit where credit's due as far as the music is concerned. We had the song Feels Like the First Time by Foreigner from their uh, self-titled album, Foreigner. Then we also threw in a bit of Lose Yourself by Eminem from the 8 Mile soundtrack. Hope you enjoyed this one as much as we did, Kalisar. We love you. We'll catch you on the next one. Stay savage. (laughs) 